Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Be Good and Rewatch at a Waypoint podcast where we take a close look at movies and television and examine their themes, craft, and relationship to our own times. This week, you must come fish in our trout stream. Ah, yeah. <laughs> or, or if course fishing is more to your liking, uh, you can listen to us discuss the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, episode four. Uh, now, I know I've said this a lot in this series. But this week is where the turn happens. Ah. All those other turns, they were false turns. This is okay. like the hairpin that brings it all back. Uh, first, I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I am joined for this visit to the beautiful grounds at Pemberley ah. by mm. Danielle Riendo. Good day, sir. Natalie Watson. Uh, g- good day. And... Well, Austin, I guess we're returning to the Lake Country, where where you just spent so so long on vacation. I did. Can I can I show you some paintings of the of the Lord of the House? <laughs> They're beautiful paintings. <laughs> Quite well, handsome. I, He's so handsome. He was such a good kid too. Is it a true likeness? A true likeness. <laughs> I haven't seen the original. You've seen his face. I, I've only seen the paintings. Never a harsh word. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Could you imagine only seeing paintings of people? I guess that's true. <laughs> You you went through true. a whole arc about that, huh? I did in my mind as I was saying it. I was like, I've only seen paintings of people. That's true. Could you imagine only seeing paintings of your friends? Wait, no, no, that's not that's but, not that's this the either. thing that doesn't that's happen. Only if you're rich, because could you imagine not knowing someone in your neighborhood? Yes, and only seeing <laughs> paintings of them in their home. Probably not. Okay, there we go. Right, got it. Neighborhood is broad. In your... Like, I don't... Is he in their in neighborhood? Your county? Yeah, county. Well, and then just just imagine, like, you're trying to, like, capture somebody. Like, like I want a picture of somebody. And you commission a painting. You think yeah. you're going to get, like, a photorealistic Dutch master type approach where it's like, damn, it's like I'm looking through a window mm-hmm. into that person's soul. If their soul was that of a very sober uh, <laughs> Dutch <laughs> uh, Dutch banker or something, mm-hmm. uh, but instead you get like some sort of splotchy impressionist like piece of garbage. You know, really. like Re- Rembrandt's not available all the time. That's true. Wait, what's up? Kata. What's up, Kata? Rembrandt. What's what's wrong with Rembrandt? Tell me, Rembrandt? Tell me what's up. Kata? What did I fuck up on? Rembrandt. Kata says okay nothing with, is I'm wrong. I'm okay with fucking up. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? what That's the lesson of Pride and Prejudice. You got to be okay with fucking up. Rembrandt fucked up when? Kato. What? What displeases you about our chronology of art history at this moment? I'm not going to. No, I'm not. <laughs> why are you no, pointing this it. mic at me? 
I put a microphone in Kato's face. We have these new swivel arms with the microphone. Don't Google. I'm Googling. Oh, don't, then you no. don't get to talk you're, shit. You're, nope. <laughs> Wait, you went to school for away. this and you're Googling Can it? We just, okay. Let's just go I'm around the room. No, I'm not saying shit. What era do you think, Rembrandt? No clue. It doesn't matter if it's the right era. Fucking... This I know Rembrandt like, was talking, Dutch. I'm talking about no. I'm talking about class. Uh huh. I'm talking about a yes class. F- first yes, wrong country. Second, like ain't going below royals. Rembrandt. Yeah. Not gonna hook a hook a lord up. I mean, gotta be a real high lord. <laughs> okay. No, so I'm not anybody if I in this just want fucking picture story. Picture me and my homies. Is this in true? This nah. I don't think this is true, my guy. I mean, well, it depends on what era. Technically, but after, like, the Rembrandt you know, lords. Like, lords, That's lords. not the Rembrandt I know. This yeah. motherfucker's a monk. You know, there yeah. are some nobles okay. in here, no doubt. But the, who commissioned this that fucking painting? Who commissioned that fucking painting? A, this is a windmill, my guy. <laughs> the windmill ain't everybody does. Everybody does fucking studies, okay? That's not, I'm talking about people, okay? This is a militia. <laughs> talking, hey, these, these things got swords. <laughs> That's, the that's just the that's yeah, the, the windmill has got, got a sword. Now yeah, you so understand yeah, why Don Quixote no. was so was so fucking squared up. Go at them windmills. They got swords. They got swords. What do you think those blade? Why do you think they call blades? That's why. Because they're swords. Anyway, yeah, he does paint a lot of rich people. It looks like a lot. What 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 era? This is a or dead ox. What era? If you had to just guess. What are you what, talking what about? With Rembrandt? I've just looked at a Wikipedia. Well, I know, I know, Look. I know. Rembrandt's, Rembrandt's 16th century. Okay. Not true. Not true. 17th. 17th right? century. He's, yeah. he's yeah. 1700s. 1700s, right? Okay. 1600s. Wait. You, you said 16th century. And, and said, also, wait, is it no, 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 I said 17th century. I said, what did I say? You said 1600s. Oh, I meant, I meant 18th, 18th century. century. I meant 18th century. It's 17th century. So I'm wrong anyway. You're wrong. Yeah. No matter what. No matter but also, what, I'm always wrong. I love that what I have I was... a hard out today and what we're doing is looking at Wikipedia <laughs> together. I love it. What I was referring to, though, was that isn't Pride and Prejudice in the 1800s? 1812. All right. Okay. So maybe. Well, that's why. But so they've sorry. had. That's that's why people think they can get that because like now that that, that, that style has propagated and yeah, people are like, exactly. I would that's love that saying, shit Rob. in my house. I'll that's what I've been but, saying from the beginning. Natalie wins. And instead. And instead, like you just want to paint your friends and family, and you can't get a Dutch master, so you just got to go to the guy who paints those swole cows. <laughs> and like, hey, can you do can you do a person? And he's mm-hmm. like, not really, but, but I can I'll give try. it my best. You couldn't get the Dutch master; you got the Dutch apprentice. Mm-hmm. Mm. He's yeah. learning. Okay, you got him at half price. What do you want? It's a deal. It's a good deal. There's two eyes and a nose. You Look. know, he'll bargain at any price. <laughs> Anyway, I will say the 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 Wickham painting in this does look uh, quite a bit like that painting of Christ that got restored restored <laughs> by that old lady. There's there's a oh, little bit yeah. of that going on. Anyway, a work all right, of art. we gotta we gotta get moving because like there's so much to get through. Uh, we pick up right where we left off uh, at the end of last episode. Uh, Darcy has just been brutally eviscerated by Elizabeth Bennet. Uh, He walks out into the really cruel light of day. How can you be this sad? And the sun is so bright and the bird's so happy. (laughs) Goes home and he's all in his feelings. And he's like, I need to write a letter. (laughs) 
I need to start. Yeah, I need to address (laughs) this situation. He goes upstairs. Yeah, and the thing he is fixated on is that Elizabeth's primary objection, the thing that turned her against him and totally damned him in her eyes, is his infamous treatment of Mister Wickham. And he's like, on that, I can defend myself. I like to imagine uh, uh, Mr. Darcy in the 21st century as opening a tweet uh, yes. a tweet box yeah. and saying, buckle the fuck up, y'all, because I have some uh, stories to tell about Mr. Wickham, one slash question mark, question mark, yeah. question mark. Thread as Thread fuck. AF, Thread, exactly. Thread yes. AF, y'all. Um, but the thing is, he doesn't do that because he could. He could do the public the nineteenth, yeah, the nineteenth century equivalent of that, in which he's like, he goes out in the streets, basically, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna put all our business out there. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure this motherfucker Wickham can't ever go inside again. Just like he is all the way mm-hmm. out of the world. Yeah. Right? he could do that, but instead he writes a letter. So I think he does open the Twitter field, and he's it's, like, you know what, private Twitter. What? Well, no, he doesn't even go to private Twitter. He's <laughs> no. like. This is a DM. I'm going to have to yep. DM her and just like let her know what it is because no one else needs to know yet. But on this one issue, mm-hmm. I just need to send it. Mm-hmm. Her DMs are open. She she unfollowed me. But her DMs are open. Yep. Ma'am. <laughs> God. So uh, who wants to lay out the story as Darcy tells it about what the actual situation with Wickham was versus what – Elizabeth's been told. Natalie, I would love for you. Oh, I was going to vote Austin. I just had, why? Because you would tell it really funny. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, You should still do it, though. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) to Miss Elizabeth Bennett, we begin. She's just going to read it? Wait, what? Be not alarmed, madam. No, this isn't what... Ma'am, entire situation. Ma'am, be not alarmed on receiving this letter that it contains any repetition of those sentiments or renewal of those offers which were this evening so disgusting to you, ma'am. So he's like, listen, I'm not not shooting my shot again. I shot my shot. I missed. Exactly. But... But... Let me clear the air. Yes. Something. Exactly. So... Basically, what we come to understand... Oh, first of all, what is so crucial to this adaptation's uh, depiction of the letter is the visualization mm-hmm. of what Wickham or fucking Darcy is talking about in this letter. Dramatic recreations. Yes, yes, it's very, very good and just illuminates how incredibly grimy, just to the max, Wickham truly is. Um, so... He uh, starts it off and talks about how, you know, Wickham and him grew up together. They were very close as kids. His dad was like the estate manager. Yes. yes. Which is not a person of means, right? He is not a gentle. He doesn't come from from a noble family or from a family of means in that same way. Um, He's like the degree to which his father takes in Wickham is like a big deal. Yeah. It seems like this is like a particularly rare situation in the sense that, you know, the the upper class family is is so generous and willing to. I mean, that sounds gross Uh to say, but uh, is like willing. So so uh, Wickham's father passes away pretty early on, um, I think, as he's like a teenager or something. And uh, Darcy's father 
begins supporting uh, Wickham and like his, you know, his dreams and things like that. So they go to college and uh, Darcy and uh, Darcy Sr. had hoped that Wickham would become a, a man of the church. Right. Which and, is like a, which is like a move up for him in terms yeah. of, I think we talked about this with, with Mr. Collins. Collins. Yeah, exactly. This route. Yeah. Right? Or we talked about this, we talked a little bit about Jane Austen's own family, right? Her father was uh, was in the church mm-hmm. and that was a way for his family, for her family move to access, little. to move yeah. up a little bit and access this part of the, co- of the culture mm-hmm. that like if she had, if he had just become a blacksmith, he would never have access. Right. Correct. Um, so Mr. Darcy writes, um, uh, after his father's early death, my father supported him at school and afterwards at Cambridge. Um, you have an image of Mr. Darcy Jr. walking down a corridor with, uh, with a... Like the cap and gown and books, just so, I'm a student, so scholarly, a scholarly man, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and and then Darcy continues on, is like, and hoped he would make the church his his profession, but by then George Wickham's habits were as dissolute as his manners were engaging. And the ne- the next scene is Darcy <laughs> opening a door yeah. and finds like Wickham just making out with this like undressed woman <laughs> and Darcy is like I like I like this description I'm reading from a like a script live journal script uh, <laughs> uh, but it says uh, the girl runs away and Darcy steps back displeased as Wickham stands up unashamed so like Wickham does not give a fuck no he's grinning yeah he's he's, he just... was like smiling yeah. I was like what's wrong he wants Darcy to walk in you think? I don't know I if he wants strong. Dark Darcy to walk in, but he's definitely not ashamed. All right. Uh, I know what mm. I'm supposed to read here, mm-hmm. and I know what I bring to the table you're, as the gayest person who's ever lived. You're reading that Wickham has it for Darcy. Or that he, he wouldn't mind. I could imagine him not minding. I don't know that I see any affection because... Uh, an affection, I, I, you know, attraction, sure, maybe, but affection, absolutely not, because he knows how much he's taking advantage of Darcy's family. Yeah, and I know. how much he's wasting it. I understand I the desire. I know he's a fuckboy. Here's the other thing: is like, I just don't think, I don't think Wickham is hot at all, and Darcy could do better. Also, I mean, Wickham, Wickham, Wickham isn't making with. plays to take advantage of Darcy Jr. Like, I feel like if there was... He already got the money. If there was an affection... He goes after what he's attracted to and what he thinks will, like, benefit him. And he never makes that play with Darcy Jr. But... Which he um, could have done. He's such a fool. He could have... Yeah, he could have done it. In terms of, like, trying to, like, just stay in the family's good graces. Yeah. That's the most fucked up thing about Mr. Wickham. Not the most fucked up thing about Mr. Wickham. There are other way more fucked up things about Mr. Wickham. Yeah. Uh, But Wickham is... Wickham has the life. He, He could. Yeah. He could live. There's, Go ahead. No, I was just going to think, like, to that point, there's a weird element. <laughs> Natalie, you called this out in a previous episode that Wickham postulates that Mr. Darcy just took against him because mm-hmm. he was so special to Mr. Darcy's dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was probably that was probably what started to turn him against Wickham. Mm-hmm. And if you, like, take the attitude that, liars can't help but reveal truths or things they think there's an element of 
he got this little he like he's in this good position. He's gotten a taste of like this life he could be living. The only fly in the ointment is that the old Mr. Darcy has the son. Mm-hmm. And in Wickham's eyes, maybe it's like this other son who's going to actually get the inheritance and all this stuff. And like, you know, is the is is that the element of like it wasn't that Darcy was ever jealous of Wickham, but Wickham was intensely jealous and resentful that uh younger Mr. Darcy was there at all. Right. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Definitely. Um so uh Mr. Darcy goes on to say that, you know, uh Mr. Wickham decided that the church was not for him, uh, surprisingly. And um instead asked for the basically the value of what he would have been given if he had decided to go through with the church, which was like three thousand pounds. And uh, uh, Wickham says that he's going to study the law and become a lawyer. Um, that does not happen um, until uh, – oh, God, grimy, grimy, grimy. All right. So We should note there the thing – one of the things that's important to understand about Wickham being like – no, I want to do the law. Actually, uh, I don't want to do the church thing. I want, I want, just give me a three thousand pounds up front. Yeah, is that he he was promised the Darcys were like, we will take care of you for life. Yeah. You will have a living. Yeah, and he was like, no, nah, just give me three k up front. Yeah, I'll make good with that. He could have literally done nothing and been provided for for the rest of his life. And it's not like at this point in the church you don't I'm get married. Out the church. That's oh. the thing I'm saying. Oh. It's not go to the church or nothing. Yeah. Like he said, I don't want to go to the church. Mm. Right? No. Am I wrong no. about this? Okay. The living was the church. I see. That was the thing. Is like it's a bit like so. Think like Crusader Kings too. Oh, thank you. Thank you for putting uh, it in terms that you know are are mine. Right, like the living he was promised, he was going to install him as a parson. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, in yeah, in like probably like lands uh, held by the Darcy's. I don't know how it all works. That's the thing. But that no, was I'm confusing pretty sure to the me to some was degree. Mm-hmm. Was that like, can they just straight up be like, you're a priest now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So so Darcy um, gives him the three k, um, and you. And Darcy goes on to talk about sort of the next, uh, uh, the first, I, I would say it's probably like the, the first huge um, offense or it's, it is, it is what, why uh, Darcy fucking hates Wickham, which is Darcy or uh, Wickham. Oh, okay. Darcy's little sister, Georgiana is 10 years younger than her, uh, than him. And she uh, m- is, like, moved to Ramsgate um, with, like, her governess. Um, and so her and Mr. Darcy are apart from each other, largely. Um, and Mr. Wickham goes out to find Georgiana and basically convinces her to fall in love with him and to agree to elope. And at this time, she was 15. And Darcy only finds out because he happens to go to uh, Ramsgate mm-hmm. and see his sister. And on the beach. On the beach, yep. They're on the beach. And 
she tells him everything. She wasn't like Wickham had told her not to say anything, but she tells uh, Darcy everything because, you know, she was super young when their father died. So I'm sure there's like sort of a father figure, older brother sort of vibe here. And Wickham uh, uh, leaves. And Mr. Darcy makes it very clear to Wickham that if they were to get married, that there would be that he wouldn't get a cent of the inheritance that Georgiana was to was to receive, which was like upwards of like 30,000 pounds or whatever. And so Georgiana is, you know, absolutely heartbroken it's on Darcy to separate what she thinks is like a true love. Yeah. And Wickham is just taking advantage of her. And so Wickham dips and is like, is in and disappears. And Georgiana is heartbroken. And Darcy has to deal with the fact that he, you know, is responsible for the unhappiness, but protection of his younger sister. And, um, and meanwhile, uh, you know, you come back to sort of like, real time or like present time and Darcy is like it's like almost morning and uh uh he's like stayed up all night writing this letter and it's been like his like opus magnum of of their their relationship he's he's writing this like letter that will just you know tell all um and then sends it uh runs into elizabeth in the woods um and gives it to her i do have to pause here real quick yes just got to call out another great breakfast scene here oh yeah yep Mm -hmm. elizabeth goes downstairs in the morning yeah and she started like recover from just the Mm -hmm. like nightmare that yesterday turned into but she needs some alone time Mm -hmm. she goes down there the family's at breakfast what's her breakfast and Um, it's yet another one of those ridiculous, uh, sausage feasts cakes. these folks have. Yeah. It's like, it's like a whole ham <laughs> or some shit. Yeah. Like, but the sound cold ham Mr. Also? God, Mr. Collins <laughs> is like doing the audio on Alan's psychedelic breakfast oh, basically yeah. for the, for, for throughout this scene. It is just the most audible, like chewing and like, Weird little moans oh, uh, throughout He's the throughout the breakfast. meal. He is he is really having a moment uh, with that <laughs> breakfast, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth makes her. You know, it, it's a great moment. The way she gets out of hanging out with the family at all is she just wants to go walk in the grounds at Rosings. They're so beautiful this time of year, of and course. Mr. Collins just like. Practically, he just swells with pride. You expect he's just gonna? Oh, he's just—he's just in heaven. If he didn't um, have so much food in his mouth, he would have like gone off on <laughs> some sort of tangent about how happy he is that Lizzie is taking to Rosings and mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck. Um, so uh, Darcy gives uh, Lizzie the letter and says, you know, if you need. An alibi, like I have, you know, a supporting witness, which is C- Colonel Fitzwilliam, yeah. um, who, as you remember, is Darcy's cousin. There's also just the matter of like he wouldn't. This story is embarrassing. 
which is one of the things that it took me a couple of watches and like thinking about this stuff to really understand is like the first time that I read this book years ago, I was like, why would she believe this fucking letter when she knows and likes Wickham and hates Darcy? And part of it is like the events of his family being bamboozled and his sister being beguiled is are embarrassing for the people involved mm -hmm. that she at least knows Darcy would want to protect. Mm -hmm. That like Darcy is invested in the status mm -hmm. quo to at least the degree at which he would not want to give someone he hates ammunition yeah. to begin spreading about his sister, for instance. Right, right. And so she probably will take it seriously on that alone. Yeah. But also Fitzwilliam is here and maybe this time he won't <laughs> fuck it up. Yeah, true. Oh, Fitzy. Because remember last uh, time. Oh, yeah. He fucked it up. Yeah. He sure time. did. Yep. Um, I also think it's, you know, uh, he, he does ask, like, there's like a sincere request that this be is kept between them. Like, this is only knowledge for Lizzie and to sort of repair the, um, you know, conclusions that Lily, that Lily, that Lizzie had, had previously made about Mr. Darcy. And for him, it's not about seeking revenge on Mr. Wickham in this this letter has nothing to do with that. It is literally just to serve as an explainer for Lizzie to understand why why their uh, their relationship had such a falling out. Mm -hmm. Um, which which is like what you were saying earlier, Austin, is that this is not like a public decree. This is not you know a call out post <laughs> of of Mister Wickham to and this is something Though that Lizzie honestly. But this is something that Lizzie later struggles with. Right. Is do I right. keep this information to myself um, or do I try and protect people that I think could come under harm's way? Um, I don't think we'll get to that in this episode because that's not here yet. <laughs> that's but, how we do. And I might not be there yet. My <clears throat> big, big read on this as a newcomer was absolutely what is Darcy trying to communicate here and what is he trying to communicate about how he feels about himself mm. he's fine with her thinking he's an asshole he's more than fine yeah. with that that's cool but she he does not want her to think that he is that he suffers fools gladly right, you know right. he does not want to look like look here's me showing my ass and ain't showing you that i can show you i'm a better person than this i have reasons for doing the things that i do i'm not a fool Right. He's fine with being an asshole, but he does not want to look like a fool. At least that's how I write it. Now, well, it's I fairly just, basic. But. I don't think he wants to be misrepresented. Yeah. Is like really is I think it's it's He's what you said. With the truth. Yeah, you know? he wants yeah. he he even if, you know, interpretations can he just wants like the the facts to be laid out of what had happened and then she can make whatever decision she wants about him. But to misunderstand what happened between her and Wickham or him and Wickham would is is like the greater crime. Here. It would drive him bananas to think that mm -hmm. she has the that wrong Wickham succeeded facts again. Or the wrong story. That yeah. Wickham succeeded again and, and and succeeded in, you know, embarrassing him in in, you know, convincing her and manipulating her, another woman um that Darcy seems to care about at this point. Uh that that Wickham is someone who he's extremely not. I think his case for being believed here, in addition to the fact that it's an embarrassing story 
and that there's a lot of like convincing detail that is volunteered here about his family. Uh, I think the other thing that speaks to its honesty is that, and I think this is why he sort of goes back to this point in the letter. I think it's partly to further explain his reasoning, but also to be clear, this is not an attempt to profoundly change your view on me. He, in the second part of the letter, he basically says, okay, so I said some mean things about your family. I meant every last one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And to be fair, like he lays out in more detail, look, this is how you folks appear to me. Like really think about what your family, how your family comports itself in public and think about how that is going to be interpreted by me. And so he makes like, he basically amplifies his case for the genuineness of his disdain for her family, but no longer in just an off, like sort of the offhandedly brutal way he did the day before, but also more of a considered like, look, I didn't just leap to this conclusion. I looked at this. This is what I saw. And this is why I decided I was concerned about your sister's relationship with my friend and you're damn right. I broke them up. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then he includes that one note. There's only, there's only one thing he regrets. Just one, which is that he worked with the Bingley sisters to conceal the fact that Jane was visiting London over the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, this, this part, this deception may have been beneath me, <laughs> which is interesting because yeah. it's just, it's funny where he chooses to draw, draw the line though. Right? Like it was one thing to tell his friend a version, a possible version of reality to make the case that like, she's not really that into you. Like mm-hmm. her family's a bunch of gold diggers. You have to watch out for this. Like nothing here is real. Um, it's one thing to say that because you can believe it fully. It is another to basically like form this protective, like this like Truman show pocket around mm-hmm. Bingley. Yeah. Yeah. And prevent him from knowing like what's going on. And also a sexist way of sort of looking at it too. Like I use these womanly tactics, these sort of cowardly tactics with the Bingley sisters, these, you know, sort of these women. I don't know. I just saw a little bit of that in that, that it's like Darcy's too proud for this. He's a, he's a man's man and he'll be very <laughs> upfront about all of these things. But he deception, that's a womanly tactic, you know? Right. Yeah. I could yeah, definitely. I, I think it just it strikes his, his self image, though. Like, what he hates about Wickham is that Wickham's deceptive and yeah, manipulative, too. right? And, like, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's the element here is that I don't think it was necessarily gendered. It's more that Darcy really views himself as a straight shooter. He will come straight at you and explain his motives and explain his reasoning. Right. There's a way to lot to to walk that line, which is, and I think this requires like a. I'm curious. I would I would like to do a deeper dive on the ways in which Wickham is vilified. Are those ways about a particular type of masculinity? Are those ways also feminized? Is right. it about you know acting on emotion instead of acting on reason? Blah blah blah. Like those types of things. And Using I, this sex is, as a weapon. Right, 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 totally, totally. In a, in a different way than that's usually understood Absolutely, as. Absolutely, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not making this claim. What I'm saying is right, I right. would actually be really interested in a deeper dive mm-hmm. that does that that kind of uh, critical analysis and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, kind of study of the language used in characterizing Wickham, in characterizing the, the men, both, you know, villains and heroes in this book. Yeah. Because there is – because, for instance, like I, one of the things I'll note is that I think that, um, you know, uh, Lizzie's father – is often 
stands stands apart from the rest of the the men in this book in so many ways and the way he's depicted in his humor in so many other ways. So I actually think there's a there is a range of masculine positive masculine figures in this in this book. Not that not that he is always uh, a positive figure, but I think you still come away fairly sympathetic to him compared to in contrast to a lot of her family. So I would love to see what are the masculinities of Pride and Prejudice? How are they categorized? How are they how are they kind of laid out for the reader? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talked about in the first episode, uh, that you, uh, unfortunately were not here for was that I think a lot of the sympathy that we lend to Mr. Bennett is based off of, uh, actually the sort of like the way that we trivialize Mrs. Bennett in, in the first episode in which she's, you know, has very real anxieties about the futures of her daughters and has very real anxieties about, you know, the future of their house and everything like that. But because she's so over the top and you have Mr. Bennett next to her sort of like constantly chastising her, um, I think we are often, or I think the audiences that, that, read and and watch Pride and Prejudice adaptations um, are often much more severe on Mrs. Bennett rather than, you know, uh, holding Mr. Bennett accountable for not being invested in the futures of his daughters at all by not, you know, by toying with with uh, Mrs. Bennett and saying, oh, I'll go visit. Maybe I won't. Maybe I will. And that we tend to uh, you know, put him up on a pedestal for excusing himself from the like social norms and like social order that is like basically required here and that we want to like congratulate that. But actually he's like doing his family a disservice. Is there is there something to work through there in terms of the ways in which those traits of his are also projections of Lizzie's own traits and her own removal that like I – when I look at the two of them, they mm-hmm. are they are the two that are aligned in in uh, what's the word I'm looking for in not stature um, but pose and posture. Like yeah, in, not even in, partially in worldview, you know, but I think really in posture in public, yeah, sure. yeah. in 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 their interest in their disinterested remove mm-hmm. from the uh, the events that unfold. That like part of the reason that 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 their uh, kind of um, the juxtaposition between between Mrs. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Bennett helps to configure for me where Lizzie sits there and lets you know that like, oh, okay, Lizzie is her father's daughter. Lizzie is way more yeah, like him. And, 100%. and for me, part of the question there ends up being to what degree at the end does he get credit for things turning out well? Um, that and I, again, we'll we'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. There's like a couple of scenes at the end yeah. where the two of them end up talking well, about how it all shakes out. But like Lizzie makes it fucking work. Lizzie and Darcy end up saving the fucking day. He is not there to play ball. He does not save his family except to be like, yeah, go with God. I'm good with the this the stuff all playing yeah. out. So I think you're right in in this in this case. And I wish that like. I think it turns out such that we know where to give credit. He doesn't yes. get the credit, at least. Yeah, you know? totally. Well, I think you come into this episode with that sort of reading we had from episode one. I, I think it does profoundly change how we read a scene in this very yes. episode. Yeah. Um, so Which I think we like to. we're gonna we're gonna get to Mr. Bennett uh, and his responsibilities or lack or or his lack of responsibility. Uh, in just a little bit, because like literally there's a confrontation over mm-hmm. this very issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I, I did want to shout out here is that I always sort of wondered why this new information is so 
profoundly perspective altering for Lizzie. And I think part of it is realizing that you've been completely misled by Wickham that like there were certain starting assumptions she made about Darcy that have been mm-hmm. proven to be false. But I think the other thing that maybe we don't like pay enough attention to in this letter is the way it recontextualizes everything Darcy has done in the story. This was last summer. Pride and Prejudice begins fall of that year. Like, literally the end of that flashback with Wickham, like, a few weeks later, he is arriving in uh, Hereford and trying to... Right. 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 This was like, yeah. For, I did for not this was that. this was E three to Pax West. <laughs> right? Wow. Right. Not even. You not even because Georgiana was at school before the fall term. God, you're right. So it was yeah. like, yeah. So it was like August, man, and like, Fuck. yeah. And so literally, just possibly a few weeks before the story begins, Darcy had this deeply <laughs> traumatic thing happen to his family. Centering on money and manipulating someone's affections and all of that. And sideburns. And I think yes. mm-hmm. and, and I think that's the other thing that change like that allows us, I think, to, may, to maybe be a little bit more generous in our reading of the way he's kind of an officious asshole in the story. Because with that immediately contextualizing his actions, I'm a little more sympathetic to him having a violently opposed response to the way he sees Bingley getting played by all appearances. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. I think it, I think he very does genuinely think that I think he, he knows that Jane is kind, but I think he does genuinely think that she's just not interested in him. And, and that, and that's why he, he, what the thing that he apologizes for is in, the deception because that was like an intentional lie in in pushing Bingley away. Uh, whether or not she's interested in him, he concealed he like yeah. concealed her from him or her presence from him. But um, you know, I think he wants the same for for Bingley that that like Lizzie wants for for Jane is yeah. like a true love and to marry for someone marry someone that is you know their their equal and their counterpart and um and so yeah to contextualize it I think is is a a good point because if all of these things are so fresh in his mind um the only thing that the uh Bennets have going for them is that they're not deceitful is that they're very like <laughs> opaque with they're too messy they're too messy and they're very obvious with what their intentions are <laughs> um but unfortunately jane gets um sort of wrapped up in that um but the thing that you're just getting to about this is something i actually wrote down and i wanted to like pause it and talk through here because it is so wild to me how quickly the turn occurs for them both um in in you know as i guess we should get to lizzie's sort of lizzie's trip uh well so you you want the 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 return the vacation Mm -hmm. or her return to longbourn uh Ooh, yeah, we should probably talk about yeah, that. We should, first. Talk to Jane. Yeah, because there's there's a lot that yeah, there's the conversation with Jane. Uh she she goes back, she leaves 
She leaves Rosings. Lady Catherine desperately wants to continue hanging out with her. I think, Natalie, you you, you had a good hypothesis uh, for for how that all went, for, for what Lady Catherine's motives may have been beyond affection uh, mm-hmm. for Lizzie, that she also kind of wanted to move Lizzie around the board yeah. a little bit because, uh, like, it was evident something was up with Darcy when he was at Rosings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Lizzie basically has to go give Jane the full download. Yeah. And we get yet another one of these great, the sisters alone talking in their rooms. So good. Scenes. Uh, before she gets home, though, she runs into her two little sisters on the way home who inform Lizzie that Mary King has escaped the clutches of Mr. Wickham and is not to be engaged yeah. anymore to Mr. Wickham. Or Wickham escaped her clutches. That's the way they put it. The, the way they framed it is... Uh, uh, Wickham is not to marry Mary King after all. She's been taken away by her uncle to Liverpool. Shout outs, you'll never walk alone. And <laughs> wow, Wickham is safe. Uh, uh, uh. What? That's that's just me doing like a Liverpool shout out. Oh. That was just not. We are we in it? We know? in it? We here? Uh, the Reds? <laughs> Fucking move Liverpool to Brooklyn. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Liverbrook. <laughs> and and Wickham is safe. And then. Elizabeth responds, perhaps we should say Mary King is safe. Like, she can't even fucking... I love it. I love her subtweeting ass as a sub as a serial subtweeter. And I, I fucking know you drag me for people who listen. I see that shit. You have to be able to let it out sometimes. You get a little yeah. catharsis. She's sitting with this knowledge that Wickham is no good. She She's the queen of subtweeting. I mean, also... She, she looks at, she looks at uh, uh, yeah. Anne and she's like, oh, she'll make a perfect wife. <laughs> she, she's like all the way out there. There are that. so many times in this, in this show where she'll be in a carriage with someone and like look sort of outside and shit talk someone else <laughs> in the carriage <laughs> with some line as like y'all are it's not that loud in here people can hear you Lizzie <laughs> god damn Lizzie I think it, in fact it just happened because it's the or no maybe maybe it's not no I'm thinking of um <clears throat> we don't get them in the in the car do we in the carriage back we do god maybe uh, but it there's is. there's nothing uh there's no subtweets in the carriage. No, there is. There what? is. Uh, Mariah says, "We've dined oh. nine times at Rosings. Oh, how much I shall have to tell!" And a li- and and Lizzie like looks outside, and goes, "And how much I have to conceal?" Like, well, <laughs> oh. Excuse me. What's up? What's go- what's going on? You can't just drop that and not have that conversation, Liz. <sighs> Come on. True. That is also her maybe not the most graceful creative choice to have. Darcy's face superimposed <laughs> into the carriage window. You must allow me to tell you how oddly. That's a different just time. like his floating fucking head. It's that, so good. That whole God. sequence is so funny. The mirrors as, later on, too. Yeah, cool. as, they're, as they're, you know, uh, re-sort of hashing what what the proposal and stuff in their heads, and they're both, like, stomping around uh-huh. with, like, the other's <laughs> voice in their mind. It's very funny. Oh, my God. Um, is this also don't, the moment? Don't mo- do edibles before carriage. No. Nope. Yeah. Is this the moment that Lydia and Kitty are wearing, like, the most audacious yes. red I've ever seen in my life? Is this this scene? Oh, I don't know if it's the most audacious red, but it is when Lydia is like, I bought this ugly ass hat and I oh. hate it, but I'm going to keep it because I wanted it. And it's like, God. your priorities are all over the place, girl. Like, Lydia's fun, I, you know? She is. She is the life of the party. Um, <laughs> I do love, though, 
This is also, it's a bittersweet scene watching it this time because it's the last moment that everything's just going to be simple and just uncomplicated among the sisters. And there's this great look when Lydia and Kitty surprise um, Elizabeth in in town where she's sort of changing, changing carriages. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, just another like, just good performance from Jennifer Ely, but just she has this look of genuine joy to see her sisters. And we know these are not her favorite sisters. Like we know they're a bit tiring and a bit exhausted, never the exhausting. Nevertheless, there's a great deal of like actual affection and warmth among yeah. these kids that they all, yeah. for all that they are different for all and that. There's some oil and boy, water combinations. They? Yeah. Yeah. They absolutely love each other. Um, <laughs> And that still pales in comparison to Lizzie and Jane's, uh, like, co-conciliary relationship, mm-hmm. like the people who are holding this together. Uh, Danielle, what did you – because I think – No, I'm, I'm curious because, like, like, for me, my sister and I are 11 years apart. We were never sort of, like, breaking things down, uh, you know, late at night because, like, our like, worldview is completely different. She was an adult while I was a kid. Uh, but for me, at least these sorts of scenes always make me wish that like, I've been a little closer in age with my sister as they sort of try to come to grips with like, what do you think of this information and what am I supposed to do with it? What did, what did, what did you make of the scene? Yeah. I, I, I've said before that I think Jane and Lizzie are the best, uh, have the best relationship out of anybody and you know, best being a qualitative thing. It's, it's the most that I can relate to something in this entire uh, uh, series because it's 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 similar in some ways to the relationship I have with my sister. We're extremely close, even though we are so opposite. She is like extremely girly and she is ridiculously smart and very analytical. And she is so many things that I am not. And I am so many things that she is not. And we are very, very close, even though we certainly fight uh, and have different views on a lot of things. Uh, so whenever they're together, there's a just a but there's both love and electricity in the air because they're both of their sort of worldviews are sort of complementing each other. And they are so smart together. They are like this perfect little crack team of, of, <laughs> of letter detectives, right? Yeah, <laughs> Figuring yeah. out kind of what's really going on here and what's the subtext here. And you're not looking at this part and you're not looking at this part. So let's look at it God, together. Instead be... of just fighting, they are they have that complimentary sense uh, that I think is really wonderful and beautiful. Lizzie and Jane as like actual detectives. Would oh, be so good. So Wouldn't that be good. great? That'd Someone's be... probably done that already, but they should send it to me. Because they're, they're so <laughs> good together. Yeah. It is, you know what? Yeah, yeah. You're not wrong, actually. We need no, an entire series of that, oh, though, where God. it's like Lizzie right. and Jane. That would actually make like... it a lot better also. Yeah, I, think. I love that. Yeah. Um, the noir uh, detective agency kind of thing going on. You know, They so both have like, like cute hats and they're. Yeah. Anyway. There's, there's. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching some Miss Marple recently, Agatha Good. Christie, uh, a novel series that got turned into a, and uh, a show. Miss Marple is like you know a seventy year old woman in England who's like so- helping people solve crimes and is just like <laughs> using her affability. She's brilliant. She's a brilliant detective, but like is able to move through society in a certain way and like go among the gossips and put together. The, the kind of social structure and picture in a way that actual cops can't because they aren't a 70 year old woman who has been in society her whole life. And I would love that. But with, but with Lizzie and Jane, that sounds it'd, so be so it'd be so good. good. Yeah. It'd be so good. But I think we get a really like, there's a few scenes where we really get a sense of how different their worldviews are. Yeah. There's something I love in this scene 
which is that Jane and I have been like I tended like growing up at least I tended to be the person who tried to find middle ground to f- try to be like really conciliatory yeah. where nobody had to be the bad guy where nobody had to be wrong. And Jane does something here that I really identify with, which is that she takes all this in and her heart just bleeds for everyone in the story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that somehow, how could all these good people, all these sweet, well-meaning people, how could they all end up at such cross purposes and at daggers drawn with each other? And she, she tells Lizzie like, there must be some misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Lizzie's response here. Uh, which is that, no, that won't do. There's just enough virtue between them to make one good sort of man. doesn't even say one good man. Just one good sort of man. There's <laughs> there's only enough. And kind she's of already sort of figured out that it, the two things, what she has seen and the story she's been told, neither of these guys are – there's no way either one of these guys is probably going to be great. Yeah. But – one of them has to be at least a decent person and one of them has to be a piece of shit. And Lizzie has firmly like crossed sides on this. But I, I love that exchange because it is the most like perfect distillation of their relationship and the ways they're both like complimentary and also contradictory. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, when, when, Lizzie says, you'll never be able to make them both good. Yeah. Like you can't, they, like all, they can't all, be good. You can't find good in everyone, and you know. Uh, and Jane is just like poor, poor Mister Darcy, poor Mister Wickham. And then Lizzie says, "I'm afraid one." Oh, uh, Lizzie says, "I'm afraid one has all the goodness, and uh, the other all the appearance of it." Yeah, um, oh, that's a great line. It's there's so many, which, which is like the actually speaks to this. It goes back a second, right? Because if it's there's just enough merit between the two of them to make one good man. Then, And then her follow-up is Darcy is all the goodness and Wickham all the appearance of it. Then what it takes to be a good man is not all the goodness alone. It is also all the appearance of it, right? It is mm-hmm. not only the good heart or whatever, right? It is not just like being a good judge of character and being smart. And It's also like knowing how to advertise that, knowing how to, yeah. to live that in public, not just like on your fucking super nice estate that she's about to go visit, mm-hmm. but like actually in public, in the world the having the appearance of goodness is itself uh, an extension of goodness in in her analysis of the world um we're gonna take a quick break here because there's another topic i want to dig into that comes up in this conversation which i think begins to di- like get us into one of the major th- other themes of pride and prejudice and particularly this adaptation uh so we're gonna take a quick break here and then resume with the rest of uh the the lizzie and jane analysis of the darcy letter Back in a second. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
I don't know about you, but I'm ready to buy some clothes. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I hope it fishing. was. Who, yes. who knows what you heard? Um, then, a, so we've sort of covered that. What makes who like which person here is good? We've sort of got that contradiction of what like how much value is there in being a decent person? If ever if you come across like a complete asshole and your goodness is invisible. Uh, if your goodness doesn't sort of, uh, you know, journey forth in the world. But then Lizzie has another issue she's got to raise with yeah. uh, with Jane. What are we going to do with this information? Mm-hmm. And this is where I begin to think that the one of the other things that Pride and Prejudice is about, and this really becomes clear in the final two parts, this is... Also the story of a community and a class trying to deal with a possible predator mm-hmm. in their midst. And how they are kind of, for a variety of reasons, unsure of what to do, uncertain of what to do, uncertain of who they, who they are obligated to in having this information. Mm-hmm. And I think we begin to see... The effect because the the thing is like one of the things that makes Wickham really detestable is that he sort of leaves a lot of people feeling this pain and guilt and shame and frustration in his wake. But we start to see it the first glimpse of it here with uh, Jane and Elizabeth as they try to figure out: Do we need to publicize this information because everyone around here in this neighborhood believes about Wickham what we all believed until a couple weeks ago? That he was just a swell, charming guy who'd been wrong by Mr. Darcy. And now we know he's not only a disreputable person, but also pursued a child and tried to uh, persuade a child to marry him mm-hmm. and then elope with her uh, for the sake of money. Like it was, you know. Right, like it, to a degree, it was it was making someone a child bride, and there's an element of like almost kidnapping that was in play there too. Um, and so, what are you supposed to do with that information? Given that what he's done is very serious, but is it theirs to talk about? Right, um, and you know, I think this was a moment where I wish Jane sort of stepped up, stepped up a little bit. Uh, but Elizabeth is says basically that her own opinion is that she hasn't been given the go ahead by Mr. Darcy. Like for all intents and like f- intents and purposes, the letter that was addressed to uh, uh, Lizzie and Lizzie alone, and that information was for Lizzie and for not for anyone else. Um, and 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 uh, I think you know alludes to what you were saying before Austin about how this is an embarrassment she says you know especially as regards his sister like this is like a very personal very intimate sort of uh family drama that's occurred and um so she she sort of goes ahead and says that I I don't think we should say anything about it and Jane is like her response is perhaps he is sorry now for what he has done and is anxious to reestablish his character in the world. We must not make him desperate. And Elizabeth says, Oh Jane, I wish I could think of so well of people as you do. And like Jane, uh-huh. he just went after Mary uh-huh. King. Yeah. He just, he just did. He just yeah. did that. There is a, there is, this is another instance where there is something in the book that doesn't, that isn't in this adaptation that I think is 
really interesting in understanding how Lizzie thinks about herself. Uh-huh. Um, uh, she says, so in the in the in the show, in the BBC adaptation, she says, you know, she's like, hey, can I get some advice? And Jane says, well, like, there's no reason to expose him. What do you think? And and Lizzie says, Darcy hasn't authorized me to make it or to me to make it public, especially as regards his sister. And for the rest, who would believe it? The general prejudice against Mr. Darcy is so violent and Wickham will soon be gone. I, I believe we sh- uh, should say nothing about it at present. The extra thing that is here is that she develops a little bit in the in the book um, what it would mean to face that general prejudice against Darcy and the positive opinion of Wickham. She adds um, – the general prejudice against Mr. Darcy is so violent that it would be the death of half the good people in Meryton to attempt to place him in an, in an amiable light. I am not equal to it. I couldn't make them believe Mr. Darcy. And that is like – it's it's subtext here where she says who would believe it. But like in the actual book, one of the things she adds is like not even – like I'm fucking Lizzie Bennet. Mm-hmm. I I am not equal to it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make them come around on Mr. Darcy enough that they would believe anything negative about Mr. Wickham. I think that's such an interesting point. And I think that the actress uh, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Ely. Ely does communicate that part of it, that it weighs on her in that way. But I do like that additional note because it, it one of the things that it does is reminds me – like I said, one of the questions here is like, what do you do when you know there is an abuser? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you know there is someone in your midst who is who is going to and has a history of abuse, uh, of of like being an active threat? And one of the things that this – I think it's easy to see this scene and for us in this room to be like, you had a responsibility to protect people. You chose not to and there were repercussions for that. One of the things that the – by just including that one little line that the book reminds us of is that like – to to for a woman to step forward and say don't trust this guy puts her at risk also and even just Lizzie saying i'm not equal to that helps remind me that there are stakes yeah. in doing that that, that she's that, considered right. what it would be to right. say something that right. she's not just right. dismissing the the idea altogether that she's actually sort of played this out in her head and and that it would be what you said a risk for her. Right. I mean, I mean, and she also the other thing here, and I'm sure we can all connect to this also, or maybe not all of us, but even in a slower case a abuse or like mistreatment, like, oh, this or just like shittiness, she also says in the book, like, hey, also, he's gonna leave and people are gonna find out if he if he keeps being an asshole, and then we can all the, the words that she actually uses, and this is where it's like, oh, you really kind of did maybe fuck up here. She says, sometime hence it will all be found out, and then we may laugh at their stupidity and not knowing it before. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's victim Mr. blame Bennett me right there. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's yeah. Mr. Bennett talking. Yeah. You're right. That's, that's the point. That is Mr. Bennett talking, who is like above it all mm-hmm. to the degree that, that yeah. he won't intercede. And in this case, she won't intercede either. Unlike Mr. Bennett. Though I think she is at least speaking from a position where that is about like how much skin does she have in the game and how much of a threat would it be to put to risk how much social her, power right she has an zero social like not, not zero, zero. <laughs> but but well, I I think the other thing is they do not yet know what they're dealing with here right because you're right what they what they've also been given. He pursued a young woman of incredible means. Right. Like Georgiana and had a Darcy. a personal relationship with where there was beef yes. already. Yes. Georgiana and Darcy. Wait, so how mm-hmm. do they not know what they're dealing with? Because that's about a Be- – go ahead, Rob. Because the thing is, you could view that entire thing as 
a very cruel and exploitative mercenary play. But what you miss in that is that Wickham is also like a potential sexual abuser as well here. Um, and that's the thing that like, like if you're not a rich, if you're not a rich woman, Wickham is no threat to you. And that's based on what they know. That's not a, that's not a ridiculous conclusion. I don't even but, think, I think it can go even further than that. I think they can talk yeah. themselves into thinking this is a matter between Wickham and the Darcys. That's I don't think him. so because he just went after no, Mary King. But no, they and don't know she that he says that Mary is safe. She explicitly says, right, but I think Mary that, but is safe. I, from- I, I read safe in that scene as not being, as being like, oh, he's a cad. She, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's safe in the way that we are now talking about abuse safe, which is maybe I'm wrong. I think you're, I think you are right to the degree in the books, re, uh, books text right. of the way that Lily, uh, fuck, why do I keep saying Lily? <laughs> in the way that Lizzie sort of dismisses it and begins to, and, and, you know, uh, says like the stupidity right. of it, whatever. Like that in that, I see the sort of like ignorance of capital A abuser. Abuse, right. I think it's rationalization is the word I'm looking for. The rationalization I can see them doing in their own brains is they've been told this story about Wickham and about Darcy that is about this family, this familial wound that's about a lot of money and and. It's easy for them to that point not understand how broad the net is that he is willing to cast. That their the, – specifically the thing that they will come to learn is mm-hmm. that even someone not of means, even someone who is not directly connected to him is a, is a target. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that should have been – that they should not have taken action regardless of whether they were targets or their family were targets. Mm-hmm. But that I can imagine – this is one of those things that a community does that says, is it safer for us to just let him walk away from us because the fallout of trying to confront it directly would be more harmful to all of our social standing? And again, I'm not defending that position, but I'm, I think that that might be what's happening yeah. inside of their heads at this moment. So as a clarifying question, yes. as somebody who has not read the text, again, is coming at this, not knowing much about the time period, it was weird even for the time. For him to go after a fifteen-year-old, right? That's where a lot of weird, this is coming from. But not, but weird, but not completely ridiculous. Like I think okay. Emma is seventeen in the in that novel. Okay. Uh, like that is of an age where agreeing to a betrothal, right, is not ridiculous at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's there. There is an element of I agree. It is weird even for the time to try to like elope with a 15 year old. Right. That is beyond the pale. And gotcha. this is, that's why Darcy includes it as a note. She was just 15 years old and he's trying to run off with this girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if Wickham had said, had said, Oh, I want to marry Georgiana. She's agreed to be my wife. We're getting engaged. Darcy would have shot that down for other reasons, <laughs> but it would no longer have been, you no longer have the predator. Gotcha. Uh, like alarms going off in the same way that this this entire arc has them ringing for us. Gotcha. Especially uh, given her wealth, right? Because that is the cover by which someone like Wickham can justify that his actions are, oh, that's just about money. He right. isn't, it isn't, he's not taking advantage of a young, a young girl. Yeah, it's not, the the power dynamic isn't, isn't what it's, like, you know, like the, the, to be able to like, cop out of your misconduct and mm-hmm. say it's just about money and not own up to the underlying 
um, motivations there is um, is fucked. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, uh, there's something else I do like, Austin, with that reading of uh, Lizzie sort of acknowledging that trying to sound the alarm about Wickham is just you're you're going in too strong a headwind. Uh, I think the other she makes this assumption that everyone else is going to be fooled the same way she is. This is the other part of like her very high regard for herself. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was fooled, right. everyone is fooled, yeah. and to a degree, Wickham has gone around for months, like discrediting Darcy and Darcy's circle. Right. He's been like for nine months. He's been telling the story. Literally, it is the first thing he tells you about himself. It's like, oh, nice weather we're having, isn't it? Let me tell you about the nice weather at Pemberley where I grew up and was the <laughs> favorite. Like that is that is his mo. Yeah. And she assumes that everyone has just bought that hook, line, and sinker. And Darcy is not popular in the neighborhood. What we will learn later is that a lot of people have gotten a weird vibe from Wickham, particularly if you're not like in the genteel classes, right? If you're right. not an aristocrat, because the people who deal with like such coarse things as money, uh, begin to get a vibe that this guy is not crack. Like all he, he is cracked up to be either. Mm-hmm. Um, also Mr. Ben- so, sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say, Mr. Bennett says it when he first meets Mr. Wickham is like, isn't it kind of, like how curious that he decided to entertain us with his misfortunes for the whole afternoon. <laughs> yeah. And it's an in the unfortunate thing here is that most of the deception of Mr. Wickham seems to affect the women of this novel. And we don't really have, you know, anything. I mean, I guess Darcy's father. Yeah. But we don't really get his voice. Um and I guess uh, Darcy to himself to like a small extent, but that um, that is so quickly their relationship is so quickly filled with doubt uh, as soon as you know they they come of age that um, I don't think it's as well. There is that great line right where he says, um, "God, where is it?" He's he's like. Uh, I'm going to find it because it's really good. Sorry. He expressed an intention in studying the law. I wished rather than believed him to be sincere, mm-hmm. which is like even then Darcy Darcy knows in his heart this guy's lying to him, mm-hmm. even at the point where he's still like writing him checks. Yeah. He wishes he was sincere, but he doesn't believe it. Yeah. And so, yeah, even Darcy, it feels like at that point, has, I mean, this is after he's walked in on him at, at college and like all that other stuff. So like I think that there's already a degree to which he – has reason to doubt. Yeah. Um, which which maybe is actually part of Wickham's cover in some ways is that Wickham knows the benefit that he will get by way of being a man, right? That like, yeah, yeah you could walk in on me fooling around with someone in, you know, in my bedroom and it's chill, even though this is like goes against what pop popular mores are right now. Yeah. Like, no, I'm no, you're not going to tell on me. It would almost be embarrassing to you yeah. by association with me to tell on me or to like raise a stink about it. Yeah. I get to move through the world however I want. That's what that like confident smile feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Is like try me, like do something. Yeah. I dare you. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that was my read. Yeah, yeah. Wickham fucking sucks. Wickham fucking bad. sucks. He's bad. Uh, I was, Danielle, gonna, I was just gonna also. ask again briefly if something, some of this had anything to do with his sort of coding as a militia man, as as Mr. Military, as Mr. Soldier. If there's any yeah. Jane Austen commentary here, or if this is he just happened to be a soldier, and this is kind of, yeah. So, 
I will say the mili- the army was not held in high regard in this okay. era. Yeah. And officers occupied a weird place because they were technically gentlemen. Uh, you had to buy commissions. Uh, things like that uh, didn't go well uh, for, for a lot of reasons uh, early on there. But sure. you bought commissions. Uh, you, you bought your position in, in a unit. But like – What did that cost in terms of like – could someone save up to buy a commission or is this a thing that like only if you had already been of means? Uh, it's something you could save up to buy, but it would have been like, like the lowest buy-in I think is like hundreds of pounds, uh, like more than a working man can accumulate even across like years of labor. Gotcha. So like you need a, you need a tiny fortune just to <laughs> buy in at the lowest rank you need a lot of money to be like a colonel of a regiment mm. uh, at that point. Gotcha. There's a certain point where you begin to get uh, into seniority and merit, but not for a long time. So <laughs> the military is not well regarded. Officers are kind of looked at as like, they're gentlemen. You have to treat them as gentlemen. Officers are not necessarily held in like full esteem as gentlemen mm-hmm. uh, because there's often an element of this is this is where the second and third sons of an aristocrat often end up but this is this this seems like a suitable job for his game right like he has a lot of mobility he's like moving from place to place um he like the regimen is going to be invited to balls and things like that Mm -hmm. out of like courtesy he will make connections that way like this seems like the ideal sort of initial investment yeah. in the long the long game he's he playing. thought about this yeah right right well and there's a like there's a reputation for like as regiments are rotated through the countryside of leaving broken hearts in their wake leaving yep. debts in their yeah. like it's like you always have to be on your guard when when the regiment uh you know is around and certainly if the regiment is commanded by an empty suit like colonel forrester <laughs> Um, so we get to, we start to see a, a, a potential issue, uh, taking shape when we discover that the regiment is going to Brighton and is going to be deployed there for the summer. And Colonel Forster is taking the regiment there, but his wife, who, who is Lydia's age, as shit. this is the thing. Like, mm-hmm. if we want to know, like, hey, was it weird for Wickham to be going after a 15-year-old girl? Look at Colonel Forster, who's got, like, 20 years on Wickham uh-huh. and is with a girl like Lydia's age. Yeah. Like, and this, everyone's like, yeah, that seems perfectly respectable. That's legit. It's it's like that. I was, when, before she's introduced or before you, like, see her, see her, I was like, what fucking random woman is like asking Lydia a 15 year old or 16 year old to come along with them on vacation like what what kind of like what what's happening here Uh and then she and then you see them like sitting at the table together and I was like wait that's not that because they both like the Backstreet Boys together (laughs) you know (laughs) right right yeah fuck I'm sorry. That's when I was. So no, but I get you. That's, like that's that's what it, that's like. They're, that's how close they are in age group. Yeah. In other words, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In that scene, we get 
Um, we get the first sign like Wickham tries to like ingratiate himself again with Lizzie uh, at this party, and this time she's oh, like kind of so not good. having it. She it's throws so a little good. shade at him. Yeah. Is there a line Austin that like leaped out at you? Because like I remember her being kind of disdainful, but it's not quite the skewering she's going to deliver later. You know, maybe I'm uh, thinking of that later. I am thinking of that later yeah, moment, which is so good. Yeah, there there is a scene where she basically like just cuts him off at the knees, mm-hmm. uh, and it's 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 beautiful, and just and just like makes him makes him squirm for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but what emerges from all this is that Mrs. Forster wants Lydia to come be her particular companion for the summer at Brighton and hang out. <laughs> And Fools. this is where we get into <clears throat> and Austin, it's good you have to leave. because uh, I, I know you're I know you're on team Mr. Bennett. Uh and so whoa, like whoa, 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 Austin, whoa. don't Austin, don't listen to this. Austin Walker, don't listen to this. This is where we learn that Mr. Bennett is a neglectful father. No, I'm not mis yeah, yes. I'm not team Mr. Bennett. I think he's a funny old man. And I think the difference is that Lydia, or not Lydia, who, not Lydia, Lizzie learned, maybe Lydia learns too eventually. Lizzie learns you have to be more than just like funny and disinterested yeah. if you want to make people's lives better, right? Yeah. Like she learns the right lessons from her parents. It's just they are, they are, you know, in a mirror darkly. Her best qualities are in a mirror darkly in her parents. Her mother knows how to play the game and wants to play the game and wants to be involved and wants to be. And again, this actually speaks back to the Lady Catherine uh, uh, reflection also, right? That like Lady Catherine is if, if there's all of these possibilities in front of us. Lizzie could have only been her mother's daughter, by which point she would have probably been married by now because she would have been committed to playing the game and would mm-hmm. have like found her. She she's smart enough. Mr. She's hot. Right. Totally. And Mr. She's Collins. Hot. And she's right. Totally. Exactly. Or, or she could have been her father's daughter, at which point she would have like remained aloof and, and, you know, castigated everybody around her and just been the the kind of chief judge of, of social culture, <laughs> but also have had less and less and, and less power because she refused to play the game. Or she could have learned from both and still ended up as Lady Catherine de Berg, at which point she would have become the kind of like mastermind of, of social order and also still been kind of a, a judgy jerk. Just wait. I Well, yeah, that's the thing is like in my fanfic, which takes place 30 years after this, oh. she is turned into Lady, the, Catherine. Lady Catherine. Yeah, exactly. Lady Lizzie. She is, but she, she solves is, crimes. Well, okay, so actually Hell she yeah. becomes Madam Webb, Peter Parker's mentor, uh, and kind of teaches him all the ways of walking oh, the webs. Oh, wow. yeah. That's really nice for yeah, them. It's good. It's good. From bird to spider. Well, I know you- yes. I know you have to go work on I that. Do. Fic I do. Right I have to now. go. Yeah, it's a big deal. Big, you know, new chapter comes out tonight. So catch me on AO3 uh, <laughs> and enjoy. Thank, Thank you, you so for having much. me on, you know, and let me plug my work, you know. Um, uh, uh, I was going to make some sort of really bad ship pun, <laughs> but I couldn't find it <laughs> quick enough. So it's I'm fine. Gonna, I'll accept you know. that and laugh. <laughs> Thank you. It's Pride some sort and of like. Prejudice and Spider Man. You know, I was just, I was trying to figure out if I could ship Peter Parker with one of these characters, and like mm, he deserves Parker Darcy. I guess it could work. Darcy, okay, Parsi? schlubby, schlubby Peter Parker yes. from yeah. uh, yes, into the Spider Verse with Darcy is great because they're first an odd couple pairing. They like wind up together in some you know Upper East Side you know uh, townhouse or some bullshit. Sure. But then they become an odd, an odd couple, you know, and yeah. it's like he, Peter Parker doesn't want to you know, throw out the trash, 
Mr. Darcy, you know, is it's beneath him. Is beneath him, so there's trash just piles <laughs> on. Like, hang on, is Into the Spider Verse out on? Like, yeah, you straight, should watch. Like, Have you not seen it? Oh yet? shit! So we got to do it. We got to like do that's it. that's what we're doing after. Into the Spider Verse, and that connects to Evangelion in in a weird sideway. Oh, so boy. even if it even if there's, we'll get there. Have you seen it yet? No. Ah, what? all right. Same. Moscato. All right, I'm gonna go and write that fic. I'll talk to everybody later. Bye. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yay. We got to get to this. Uh, what I think is a, a scene that is underrated for how pivotal it is uh, for what it reveals about how Elizabeth has her relationship to her family has been changed uh, by seeing it through Darcy's eyes to yes. an extent. She doesn't like there's never a scene where she fully acknowledges that openly. She never just makes that explicitly the text. But we begin to get the sense that, like, there are things knocking around her head that were not there before. And she is now, like, viewing her family from a different perspective. And also, that is sort of tying into what she now knows about Wickham. And it comes to a head with this invitation for Lydia to join Mrs. Forrester in Brighton for the summer. And Lizzie goes to her father and begs him. To deny Lydia permission. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of his worst moments in the series. Agreed. Um, yeah. One, one takes through that because like there's there's a lot that happens and it's just shows him in the worst light. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, so basically after Lizzie comes to understand that Lydia's to go or has been at least invited to um, Brighton with... Okay, so we should s start off that before she's even invited, Lydia knows about Brighton and knows that the the officers are going there. Lydia and Kitty are both talking about how much they want to go summer in Brighton. They're like, oh, it'd be so nice to go to the beach, blah, blah, blah. And their mother is like, oh, yeah, that would be great. You guys should totally do that. And Mr. Bennett's like, nah, you guys should not. Nope, you're not going to Brighton. I hate Brighton. I hate water. I hate happiness. <laughs> I hate going. fun. I hate fun. Um, so they don't go. Uh, or they decide that it's not an option. Um, then uh, Mr. Bennett and, uh, well, Lydia finds out that Mrs. Forrester has invited her um, as like a special friend. And Mrs. Bennett is just fucking tickled pink that, you know, uh, Lydia's getting this chance to go and Kitty's incredibly upset. Um, especially because, uh, in Kitty's words, she's two years older and should have been, you know, the first one to be invited because of, uh, because of, uh, you know, being older or whatever her <laughs> reasoning is. But anyway, Lydia gets invited. So Lizzie decides to try to make an intervention, um, so she approaches her father and, uh, you kind of, we come into the scene like sort of in the middle of the conversation and Mr. Bennett's argument for allowing Lydia to go is essentially that until Lydia has made a fool of herself in public and has public publicly disgraced herself, um, there will be, there will be no peace. They she she just wow. won't she won't learn a lesson until she does it, um, and uh, so Mr. Bennett says, uh, 
Lydia will never be easy until she has exposed herself in some public place, and here is an opportunity for her to do so at little, at very little expense or inconvenience to her family. So it's like, I'm not the one, I don't have to pay for it. I'm not the one uh, sending her. I'm not going to be there. She can just go and fuck off. And this is like the indifference. This is like the removing himself from the equation, removing his his role from the equation that is so absolutely frustrating about Mr. Bennett. And is that it is the negative side of of that sort of um, exemption. And uh, Lizzie, for like the first time, is like, you must be aware of the fact of the impact that her disgrace will have on the family as a whole um and uh mr bennett's response is uh has she frightened away some of your lovers like all and and it's like he thinks it's hilarious he thinks it's hilarious and he and he any any uh uh teases lizzie and you know his like his 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 favorite and is like oh have you lizzie have have you finally succumbed to the the sort of frivol- like frivolousness of this whole society and you are now like trying to put your stake in it um and uh you know lizzie's like i don't I've never been slighted. I don't have any lovers to 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 have been frightened away, but she says, um, and and she she specific uh specifically says, I speak of general, not particular evils. So she's like trying to speak generally, even though she has this particular knowledge of Mister Wickham, and uh and he will be there in Brighton as well, uh. But she she is is kind of pulling out and is saying our position as a family, our very respectability is called into question by Lydia's wild behavior. And then Mr. Bennett sort of doesn't say anything. And she says, like, let me make this clear. If you do not step in here, it's going to go farther than we can than we can repair. And uh uh, her char- she says her character will be fixed as the most determined flirt that ever made herself and her family ridiculous and kitty will follow and 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 they and and both of them the the two girls will just be just absolutely the most ridiculous girls in society and they will be beyond correction exactly. and that's the other thing like the important thing the other thing in the scene is that this is not something we've seen from Lizzie before. Like the entire scene, like Gen- Jennifer Ely is playing Lizzie. Lizzie is almost like on the verge of tears yes. in this scene. Like yeah. she's so frustrated. She is so worried. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it extra cruel that Mr. Bennett is just kind of like, lol, <laughs> cares. Well, yeah. he, he, what he says to her is, is he, ex- he, he separates Lizzie and Jane from Lydia, Mary, and Kitty. And he says, Yes. Don't make yourself uneasy, my love. Wherever you and Jane are known, you must be respected and valued. Uh, and you will not appear to any less advantage for having a couple of, or may I say, three very silly si- sisters. We shall have no peace at Longbourn if Lydia does not go to Brighton. Um, 
And and that's just not how it works. And that's not how it works. And, and first of all, what the fuck kind of father is like separating his some of his daughters from the others in in placing, you know, Jane and and uh, Elizabeth on some sort of pedestal and just completely disregarding and and honestly has zero respect for. Uh, uh, and to be fair, yes. The younger sisters are ridiculous. They're silly. They're they're teenagers. They're, they're teenagers. But he he has no respect for them as people, as as members of society. He has no interest in supporting them. And uh and and then he jokes and says, luckily, she's too poor to be an object of prey to a fortune hunter. So so fucked up. So even if she even if she uh you know goes she's too poor to be you know taken advantage of and if she is taken advantage of at least it won't be for her fortunes. It won't be for it won't be for any sort of um advantage financial advantage to the person you know uh preying on her. Which is just first of all a really fucked up thing to say but also it isn't everyone silly when they're a teenager? Mm-hmm. Aren't, you know, I'm sure Jane and Elizabeth had silly moments when they were 15 years old because mm-hmm. you're growing. It's it's you're a child. You're growing. You're allowed to have this period of time. I, again, I don't know as much about the time period, but just speaking really generally, you're allowed to grow up. You're allowed to be a kid. You're allowed to be a little silly. That's why your parents protect you when you're this age. That's why your parents should be protecting you the way Mr. Bennett should be sort of protecting his daughter. And if he wants her to have some taste of freedom, Mm -hmm. don't do it in this way where it's like, well, who gives a shit? Also, she can fall on her face. I don't care. And like, don't even worry. Like, she's not going to be prey. Well, she's not rich enough. Like, yeah. it's just such a, like, wow, bro, that's how you feel about your kid. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're mad you didn't have a son, but don't blame it on her. That's not her fault. I can't even tell if he is mad that he did. I guess, yeah, there is some of that no. there with how he, like... But but w- w- what I will say to that is that the fact that all of them are out at the same time, like, Lizzie and Jane have had, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they had missteps but they seem to have internalized or at least um you know accepted the the social norms and social codes that come with like lizzie doesn't part like she observes them but doesn't like support them if that makes sense like she she, she's not out there in a bikini no exactly exactly she's not sitting on like some soldier's lap and you know uh and and like fooling around and and you know being loud and disruptive or whatever and i think you're so right danielle is that, like they are ch- like they're they're, they're very young still. they're ki- yeah. they're they're very young teenagers um fresh to society fresh to adolescence and uh and and don't seem to have you know don't seem to look up to Lizzie and Jane as role models of behavior. They seem they don't seem to look up to anyone. They sort of move about on their own. Um, and Lydia and Kitty play off of each other, and Mary plays off of them in a complete opposite way, <laughs> and to be everything that they're not. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's elements of. You get the sense some kids are easier to raise and relate to sure. than others. I think every parent, particularly a larger family, 
<clears throat> every parent experiences this. Plus, as the number of children you have, the dynamics further change. Uh, once you're outnumbered, uh, the <laughs> dynamics change. Yeah. But you do get the sense, and I've actually I've actually seen this dynamic crop up in a few places. Lizzie and Jane appear to have been pretty easy children to raise in a lot of ways. Yeah. And the thing that can catch you out with that is you think, well, that's just what parenting is. I nailed it. And what Mm -hmm. you don't see is like the degree to which characters can sort of be formed and hardened pretty early. And without you having to do a great deal, you ended up with a couple kids who uh, exhibit a lot of the virtues you hope to instill, a lot of the things you take pride in yourself. And you're not prepared for – that doesn't prepare you for raising children – who you'd find yourself at odds with, who you have difficulty relating to. And you always get the sense there was this moment at some point in the past, Mr. Bennett just completely checked out where it all got too hard. The marriage got too hard. Suddenly there were these daughters he didn't understand Mm -hmm. and he couldn't relate to just as readers and, you know, smart young things. And when confronted with that, he basically writes them off. And I think that's the the cruelty of his character. And we, we see it again in the scene where, oh, they're just my dumbass daughters. Yeah. Who gives a shit? And Lizzie's making the case that she's trying to make the case that you are, Danielle, which is like they're teenagers. Kids, yeah. You know, they are. These are actually formative years. They are not. They are not yet completely who they are going to be. We yeah. still have time to like influence and temper their character. It can't, be, it can't be completely altered, but it can be tempered and augmented, particularly like with Kitty. That's the other thing she cites is Lydia might be unalterable. She has a very strong character, strong <laughs> sense of self, who she's going to be. But she's also like sort of pulling Kitty along with her in like as Kitty tries to imitate the energetic and, and popular sister. And so there's this plea from, from Lizzie to like be a fucking parent mm-hmm. at this moment, like like step up and actually get involved with this. And I think the other thing is, it's weird to think about the actual ages because all the actresses are older than the characters they're playing. But yeah. this is also a weird moment where like Jane and 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 Lizzie are like young adult women. They're, they're like. 20, they're 20. <laughs> and Jane's probably 21, maybe. Yeah. And that's still young, but like, you know, clearly young women. But the thing is, it's it, it's sort of this weird moment in your life where, oh shit, like, I'm actually kind of a grown up. And my sisters are no longer like little girls anymore. Like there's this whole thing that's this realization like shit. Like my little sisters who I've been sort of writing off and letting be kids in the background of every scene, Mm -hmm. they are out in the world and here's how Darcy saw them. Here's how like other people saw the situation playing out Mm -hmm. and wait, they're not nine, 10, 11 years old. They're not just silly young girls. Mm -hmm. They are in the process of becoming like feral teenagers. And now we actually have to do something because this is not just youthful exuberance. And all of this is completely lost to Bennett. It's it's almost like she's walking back on sort of the the uh the remark she had to Lady Catherine of like oh I hardly think it would encourage sisterly affection if you know if the younger ones weren't out before the older ones weren't there and it's almost like she's like oh I realize why you know 
this sort of this learning, this like getting to know yourself is done in somewhat of a more like contained setting. A safe. A safe. Like, Zone or yeah, like yeah. a safe <laughs> space in the household where you can learn and then not be like socially. And like, let's be clear, it is fucked up that in this society, what you do as a teenager is going to mar you socially for the rest of your life. Of like yeah. that is just a given. Um, this is Facebook for the 18th, early 18th century. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Falling on your face in society is your horrible post about hating your teacher. Or yeah, <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, so I just, I, you know, I think Lizzie realizes the repercussions and is sort of, after, after everything with Charlotte, after, you know, uh, seeing what happened to Jane, all of these things, she realizes that these are like huge decisions. Um, merit, the marriage state, growing up, who you are, who you identify yourself as, how you move about in society. These are all decisions that inform your character and how people perceive you. And you can hold power in them. And that's kind of, I think the realization that Lizzie's coming to is that when you are conscious of it and and uh, in control, you can be an agent and ha- and hold some sort of power even within this like overwhelmingly patriarchal, uh, you know, society. Uh, but Lizzie has like seen the potential and wishes that for her sisters. But they have no one there to guide them. They don't have anyone there to correct them. Their parents are checked out. Their mom is like actively encouraging them to put themselves as out there as possible because her anxieties of them not having any prospects of all at all are so overwhelming that she is sort of ignorant to the the the, the social norms ar- around sort of the way they behave. Yeah. Um, it, I saw this in some ways as a growing up for Lizzie, who is, again, she's a grown woman. I don't want to make it sound as if, oh, she's still a teen or something, mm-hmm. but like, she's still very young. She's still 20. She's still figuring out some of these things. And she's out there in the world more so than, at least you kind of get the sense she's out there in the the terms of this story more so than maybe she had been in the past because she's doing all this sort of learning and growing. And this is like a moment where it's like, Oh, she's starting to realize, not just because Darcy has opened her mind to something, although I suppose that was maybe the impetus for some of this growth, but also like, hey, I can I can maybe do something here. I can maybe help my sisters a little bit by trying to get my dad to take a more active role, trying to get him to do his job a little bit and give them a little bit of scaffolding to grow on, a little bit of something to kind of help them figure out what kind of women they want to be in the world. Uh, but yeah, like absolutely, as much as this is a a... I guess you could argue that this is like, this is just character growth, Mm -hmm. but because it's happening as she's 20 years old, it's sort of like, okay, it's character growth in a young adult who is still learning and growing to some degree, not physically growing, but like growing as a person to some degree for sure. Totally. Um, And the other thing is the thing she can't bring herself to say to her dad is this shit costs Jane. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like literally this is the reason that this is one of the major reasons that the uh, Bingley situation was, Completely derailed uh, because we make such a terrible impression, and now we've got a broken-hearted sister. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and then, well, 
Not necessarily. I mean, Darcy's argument was that the main point at which he decided it would be right to separate Bingley and Jane was over the fact that he didn't think she had the same amount of affection for him. So it seems like the other stuff around it, like the family and things like that, were related but not the decision itself, like not the the like crux of the decision itself, sure. but that it was m- f- like more based on sort of his perception of her like yeah. affection for yeah. him. So yeah, that's a good point. His objections to her family were more about the way he relates to Lizzie, I suppose, sure. than why he scuppered the uh, relationship between Jane. Yeah, and being but like, it wasn't. It wasn't not a conversation. It was absolutely yeah. sh- something that you know, for the first two episodes, the Bingley sisters were constantly talking about and constantly yeah. saying to to Bingley himself, and and you know, Darcy observed all of that, and and so did. Uh, and 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 Jane. I mean, Elizabeth wasn't oblivious to it. She could. She could. Yeah. She could tell. Um, but yeah, so we get Mr. Bennett kind of blandly overruling Lizzie and saying it'll all work out. She'll go get out of her system. And the other thing he does count on, uh, is that as you said, Danielle, he's not, Lydia is not a target for her fortune. And as for other ways she could be targeted or exploited, they're in the care, like she is in the care of a respectable married couple as far as the rules of their society. Like that's the other part of this is the foresters are kind of like in loco parentis here. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, they, yeah. You know, they're, they're supposed to be uh, kind of Lydia's guardians for this summer. A careful examination of who those guardians were uh, <laughs> might've, yeah. you know, raised some flags, but nevertheless uh, it's not entire. Like you get where Mr. Bennett is coming from, on that score, uh, nevertheless, he really needed to hear Lizzie uh, at this point. And it really is kind of a revealing moment, too. Of Lizzie's his favorite, the one he ostensibly respects. But when she has to bring something real up with him, she gets no farther than anyone else in the story. Yeah. That, you know, nope, doesn't even matter if it's his favorite daughter. Uh, nothing is going to sort of pierce his detachment. Which is an opportune moment. For maybe the most responsible and fu- and functional couple in the entire <laughs> series <Yeah>. to rejoin <laughs> the story, we didn't get much of a taste of uh, their relationship when they took uh, Jane to London for the winter. But now they've arrived uh, with they've arrived bringing I think I think they're bringing Jane back from London now that her visit is concluded and they're about to go on their vacation uh, through the Lake country uh, and the, and the, and uh, you know, the, 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 the hill country of England and they're going to bring Lizzie, but we, we get, we also just get a a sense of, um, you know, the gardeners being just a good, stable, responsible, respected, like a, parents, a couple that actually, you know? <laughs> yeah, they listen to each other yeah. and they care about uh, the, the young people in their lives. Um, and it's kind of a relief to have them show up and be like, Lizzie, you want a piece out of this entire situation for 
you know, a few weeks and she is off like a shot <laughs> um, to to rural uh, to rural England. And they have to cut their trip a little bit short. Um, so they just end up going to Derbyshire. And we get a brief travel brochure of Derbyshire. <laughs> oh. uh, I got to say, it looks gorgeous. Sweet. Like, yeah, Mr. Gardner is a little bit like pompous where he's like, you see that, Lizzie? Artifice and nature in harmony. <laughs> nature Whatever, and culture though. in harmony. Yes, you see, Lizzie, that- wildness and artifice and all in the one perfect county. Oh. Wildness and artifice. Symbolism. Oh. I'm saying. Holy shit, which one's pride and which one's prejudice? Oh. <laughs> uh, but I actually wrote but that down. Is. I was like, wildness and artifice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I see you. Yeah. I gotcha. Um but then, this Yeah, go. This go. is this is the this is the point where I'm like, Lizzie, are you okay? Do I know who you are, actually? I feel like you're kind of confusing me on your values right now. Because Mr. and Mrs. Gardner and Lizzie approach, uh, they're driving through Derbyshire, and they uh, approach from a a distance uh, Pemberley, Mm -hmm. the home of Mr. Darcy. And, you know, Lizzie looks at the house with just like astonishment. She's just like what a house. What a what a what a she says what she said about rosings, but she says it sincerely here is uh you know it's like she says something about like how perfect um how perfectly situated it is in nature or something like that. Um so they decide to um, go and uh, uh, visit the house because, uh, you know, the family isn't expected to be there. The Darcys aren't expected to be there. So um, Lizzie decides to or the family is like, do you want to go see see Pemberley? And she's like, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, what we don't know is that. Darcy is on his way home, um, but he rides ahead of the party to... So we can go to fencing practice on time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, it seems like he cut fencing practice short to go home. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Either way, he's got a bad case of the sads. Yeah. He's... And he's at fencing practice. He's like, I got to beat this. Because he's just, he's got the blues. He's working he's out. Just... He's so low. He's yeah. working out, man. Yep. It's, yeah, I, he is. I feel this because Darcy's doing the things I do when I'm depressed. <laughs> he fights other people. He goes swimming. He runs around in nature. It's just he's I, just gone full reckless. Where he's like, I'm gonna fence. No headgear. Just <laughs> yeah. let's let you know Go what. Dirty. If misfortune strikes and I get blinded, so be it. <laughs> um, he's got to live life yeah, on the edge a little bit you know Natalie I will say before we get to the next, this next part Lizzie's still Lizzie though at this one moment because they're driving up to Pemberley before she sees the house and Uncle Gardner's like I, re- I, I, get, I imagine we've seen uh, forest and hills enough even for you Lizzie and she's like 
Yeah, you think we'll make Pemberley before nightfall? Uh, Which, yeah. Yeah, she, she is. Yeah, she's a little bit like, this is the most absurd driveway I've ever seen. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then she sees that house. It's like as she's walking up is just like the way her character kind of like takes it all in and is like, like, I was so surprised that that buildings and houses could impress Lizzie to such an extent <laughs> um, that she could be like so dazzled. Uh, and to be fair, it's like pretty incredible. Like this house is it's a mansion. It's yeah. It's a it's an estate, <laughs> and it's just like it's some shit you visit when you go to England on like holiday, and you're like, let's go to some random old let's houses. Go look at a castle. Yeah, let's go <laughs> look at a castle or whatever. Um, it's like absolutely sort of just unbelievably decadent and luxurious and whatever. There's a weird thing happening because I'm with you. Like I wanted to get into this because there's a weird mate- like potential materialism to everything that happens in the sequence yeah. that we have to unpack. But I would also say there's a weird conflation of Darcy with Pemberley throughout the scene. Like this idea that seeing this home, we are also learning more about the man. Yes. And yeah. – I think this they're trying to make the case in the series that Darcy's Pemberley, Pemberley is Darcy. The two reflect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that comes through, and we'll start getting into that in a little bit. At the same time, I can't help but share your misgiving, Nat- Natalie, of what Lizzie's had so far is a letter that basically says, look, I'm not a complete piece of garbage. Uh, Wickham's bad news. Uh, By the way, your family still sucks. (laughs) And now she sees this house, and she's like, oh. I see what's going on. Wait. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and obviously Lizzie's been shit-talking Mr. Darcy up until this point, or at least to the gardeners at some point, and they're like, Oh, such a pity that its owner uh, should be such a proud and disagreeable man. And then Mr. Gardner or Mrs. Gardner says, perhaps the beauty of the house renders its owner a little less repulsive, Lizzie. And she's like, yes, perhaps. And she's like laughing to herself. And then she says, perhaps a very little. So she's still like, she's like impressed, but she's like, all right, the house isn't going to do the whole thing for me. And I kind of forgot about that moment uh, until I uh, just read it, read the the script again now. Um, but I can't help but think of her, you know, they go on a tour of the house and the housekeeper is giving like the... Um, like the best accounts of Mr. Darcy. And it's just like, oh yeah, top-notch guy. He's a, uh, he's a, uh, you know, very kind. And even as a kid, he was a nice guy, you know. Yeah, exactly. Really laying it on. And then Lizzie is kind of like standing by herself looking at a window and she's like, of all this, I might've been mistress. And she's like, I, I cannot tell if she's being kind of tongue-in-cheek here of like you know 
not like sincerely being like, if only I had said yes, but it is like kind of like astonished at the fact that like this is what would have come with it and is like of all fucking this, I might have been mistress. Like what, like in what world and also like just did not realize the extent of Mr. Darcy's wealth perhaps. Well, this is the if you've ever seen Coming to America, where um, you know Eddie Murphy's character is revealed uh, as the Prince of Zamunda, and the uh, the the romantic heroine's father says he's got his own money, and I mean he's got his own money, and passes over a note with like Eddie Murphy's face on it. I feel that's what's happening here. Like it's one thing to know like ten thousand a year, whatever. His wealth was hypothetical until this moment. Danielle. I was going to say the production design and framing does a lot of the kind of subtle lifting here in terms of not only is this like incredibly beautiful and wealth is just sort of pouring out, but it doesn't feel garish. This feels like beautifully manicured. It feels masculine in some ways in terms of like colors and clean lines. This is not like, oh, insanely ornate, uh, you know, clashing wallpaper and fixtures and things like that that you might see in a house of somebody who is, like, trying real hard to look like they have money. This is more like, oh, this is what a refined real man looks like. This is what his cave looks like, his dwelling, his sort of area where he is master, uh, which I think goes a long way into making him look more attractive and also sort of combines with the ways that he is framed and he is photographed in his, like, I'm a sexy, powerful man doing fencing and swimming and, and sort of other other things that we'll maybe talk about a little bit uh, shortly when they have their their meeting at Pemberley. But it all it is all very like, yeah, this is not just a house and it's not even just this sort of reflection of him and who he is. But it is absolutely doing a lot of that lifting of like the real Darcy. This isn't Darcy out of his element. This is no. Darcy in his element. This is his home. This is a reflection of his being and just how like powerful and masculine and manly he is in all these amazing ways that you know, in terms of again in terms of this fiction yeah and idealization and sort of idealized male models that that he absolutely sort of mm-hmm. can, yeah yeah he, he has such a i think what you said there about like having such a mastery over the house is like he's young ish like there usually would still be you know a dad like an uh, an older master of the house and he commands this estate um with such a deep knowledge of it and uh it seems like he i mean the way that he moves about through the grounds and you know like when he dives into the pond and he's just like completely comfortable and in his element there and the way that he speaks with um the um the like head head uh, m- uh mistress of the house mm. um and how like strong their rapport is and strong like their their relationship is with each other um you know this is his family home this is where he grew up but but it is like it's not just his property if that makes sense like it seems like it really is something deeper than that for him like it is a home not just a house yeah not just something he owns not just something he inherited it is like where he's shared 
childhood memories. It's where he's he grew up. It's where he became who he is. Um, so I think, uh, but that in I struggle to find that intimacy in Lizzie's uh sort of introduction to the house. It's like like I I I still I I don't know why I still have this like this like weird disappointment with her <laughs> for sort of like I don't know like just like for for Falling being for yeah for being so impressed by it. Yeah. <laughs> like why I don't know. I guess any like that sort of display of wealth would be impressive to anyone, but also she's made she's like formulated herself as a person as being above that shit and not caring about wealth and not caring about like she's kind of taken her own financial security for granted. Yeah. But let's back it up. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. From our vantage, we be a little disappointed, Lizzie. This part has always sat a little bit uneasily uh, with me because, like, look, I I kind of get it, right? Like, I look at Pemberley, and I'd be like, yeah, I probably fucked that guy for that house. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I kind of get it, but but I think more to to be more serious here. This is where we go back to one of the other things that uh, the uh, New Yorker piece on Charlotte Lucas's choice is arguing, mm-hmm. which is that. There are comforts and uh, like for for women in this social class, in this situation, there are comforts and security and privileges that being a married woman gets you. Yeah. She Charlotte was stuck in a parsonage with the dumbest motherfucker in England. <laughs> and she was happy. She, she was, was happy. She was uh, sort of happy. Yeah. As yeah, happy mean, as you're going right. to get in that situation. Yeah. Right. Now imagine one Already we know Darcy's not like he's no Collins like he's a like he's a he's a more substantial he's person. He's not like incompetent, he's right? Not, but he's I'm not saying, a, a, yeah, a he's dumbass. not a fucking dumbass. He's not a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. so what I'm saying is like I think to an extent, Lizzie seeing how Charlotte is making out with what she was convinced was going to be a catastrophic marriage, just like a living death. Uh has been both reassuring and also kind of changed her idea of like what the cost benefit could be for a marriage. Now throw Pemberley into that mix. I fit like, I can't help but like sympathize with Lizzie to an extent. She's sitting there in the old Mrs. Darcy's uh, drawing room where Mm -hmm. she wrote her letters, which is, Bigger than her, like half her house, like like the house that the the room that was specifically for Darcy's mom to sit and read and write her letters, is like larger than any three rooms we've seen in Longbourn put together. <laughs> yep. It is gorgeous. It is a secure, peaceful place. It is a place where Lizzie could potentially like be like her dad a little bit and just sort of retire and stare out the window and read. And I think Lizzie's in this place where she can't help but contemplate, like, even if you don't particularly like your partner, there are things that can make a marriage bearable. Pemberley is like uh, that. Yeah, I would say Pemberley is pretty bearable, but I just did not expect that to be 
what one I don't know. I'm just like Yeah. This is such an extreme of comfort <laughs> and ha- and like in wealth and and secure and financial security. Like it's not like she's um going in for the Hold on, I'm going to pause. I got to do We can do a switch oh, cuz I got to I got to actually Oh, we have we have Austin we we need to address the situation. Yeah, Austin, Austin needs to, to speak. You, you come in. I'm taking uh, goodbye at Danielle or I. I love you all. Uh, I enjoy swimming and fencing. That looked like fun. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, um, to catch you up briefly. Hold on. I get to do the framing for Austin because you will poison him against me. I'm making my case, Natalie. You do not get to turn Austin against material comforts before I've had a chance to explain why Lizzie falling in love with Pemberley and by extension Darcy is good, actually. I missed everything Rob just said. Um, Rob wants to pitch you something. All right. What's up? Um, no, Natalie, can I just tell him just at the lay, p- Make your case. Make no, your no, no, case. you go first. But all I will say is we're at the point where Lizzie has is visiting Pemberley for the first time. Nice place. Go, Rob. Make your case. See, I'm not sure, like, what did Austin mean by nice place? So, Austin, I yeah. think that this is a scene that's paying off a little bit. On some of the insights Lizzie has gotten into uh, on sort of the reality of married life and the privileges Mm -hmm. extended to the woman of the house. And so that it is not completely like she's not betraying her values entirely. It is not without When she looks at Pemberley. Yeah. Right. Where she looks at Pemberley and is like, damn, I could have run this place. Mm -hmm. And is suddenly much more receptive to the idea of getting with Darcy, despite very few things materially of changing. Natalie thinks Lizzie's a sellout and finds this entire turn contemptible. The entire turn? Lizzie is doing what I would do in the... Lizzie's doing... this conversation. Yes. (laughs) Lizzie's doing the apocalypse plan. Yeah. Had you lay out the apocalypse plan? Um, no, I haven't laid it out. You can't just say it. Okay, my apocalypse plan is to marry a lord. Natalie knows some lords. (laughs) This is true. If they're listening, hello. Marry us. (laughs) Marry both of us, please. And take us to... So, we have been thinking about the inevitable uh, devastation of the world world because of uh, climate change Mm -hmm. uh, and the failure to do anything. And what we realized was... We had a couple options. Yeah. Die. Die. Move to Montana. Move to Montana. Where we would start a farm? Yes. Of some sort. Yes. You can come, Rob. We talked about coffee farms, depending on where we go. Yeah, we said Hawaii, but that was before climate change really hit shit hit the fan. Right. Once they were like, nah. Hawaii's not going to be safe. Which shout outs to our listeners in Hawaii. We hope climate change policy changes so that we can actually keep people in their homes. Yes. Put that out there in the world. Agreed. Um... But then we thought, lords. Lords. What if we just married up? Yeah. And a duke, a duchess. A duke, a duchess, a lord, a lady. Yeah. And I don't want to settle for less than a duke or a duchess. I'll be honest. The countess, mm, I'm not sure you can keep me safe in what comes after. You know, that's probably true. Although a lord probably got a cousin that's a duke. So true. So you're <laughs> so saying marry a, marry a lord. And the Duke cousin, the cousin Duke, 
will keep the family safe. And now you're in the family. Maybe date the Lord. No. Meet the Duke. Oh. Wait. Marry the Duke. This is mercenary. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. It's the end of the world. End of the world. True. So you're saying that's what Lizzie is doing here. I'm saying yes. So in my opinion, in my humble IMHO. Yeah. Lizzie, I'm disappointed with Lizzie in this moment. And this is something that I struggle with a lot. Mm -hmm. Because Lizzie, I don't understand, and this is something I wrote down, I don't understand when the turn occurs. Like, I, I, well, I understand when it happens. I don't understand why it happens. I don't understand why Lizzie changes her mind. Like you said, Rob, without much material change actually happening between them and their relationship. Um, And as she's approaching the house, you can tell she's, she is just completely like, like just floored by the estate itself. Um, And as she's upstairs and saying, you know, to think that I could have been the mistress of all this. There's two readings here. Mm-hmm. The first is like to think I could have been the mistress of all this in the sense that like I don't know, it's whatever I said before. It was on the podcast, I don't remember it now. But <laughs> but the other the first reading is like kind of her tongue in cheek like I could have been the mistress of this and like oh yeah sure whatever like that's this is ridiculous and to have been the mistress of this is just like a ridiculous thing to think about because this estate and everything that it encompasses mm-hmm. is just a wealth and a luxury and a lifestyle that I've like never been introduced to slash like wanted for myself But then if you think about the fact that she changes her mind on Darcy, like through this whole visit Mm -hmm. is like to think I could have been the mistress of this. And it's like, yes, this is a secure, like a financial security, but this is, and, and that's the lesson we've sort of learned from Charlotte, right? Is that you can find happiness in the marriage state that it's, there's a potential for it. Even if maybe your partner is not like the most, your one true love or whatever mm-hmm. but this is such an extreme like this isn't just like a half step up from mr collins or like a mr collins right. adjacent right this is literally like one step down from being a lord type of wealth um which is just it it i can't help but to feel disappointed <laughs> that lizzie is like buys into so much of the like so much of these like she just is so astonished and like uh 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 like enchanted by this material place. Can I give a little context? Can I read a section from the book and then give some context for why this choice is not only about wealth? Yes. I, I think that the particular line that, that you're calling out, um, which which is the like I could have been mistress of this place, and she's like walking around the halls and mm-hmm. being like, "Wow, look at these dope halls! Yeah, <laughs> look at these bedrooms! Yeah, <laughs> like it is rendered in such a way." There in the book, before she arrives, as she's approaching, mm-hmm. Elizabeth's mind was too full for conversation, but she saw and admired every remarkable spot and point of view. 
they gradually ascended for half a mile and then found themselves at the top of a very considerable eminence, where the woods ceased and the eye was instantly caught by Pemberley House, situated on the opposite side of a valley into which the road with some abruptness wound. It was a large, handsome stone building, standing well on rising ground and backed by a ridge of high woody hills, and in front a stream of some natural importance was swelled into a greater but without any artificial appearance. Its banks were neither formal nor falsely adorned. <laughs> Elizabeth was delighted. She had never seen a place for which nature had done more or where natural beauty had been so little counteracted by an awkward taste. They were all of the, uh, they were all of them so warm in their admiration, and at that moment she felt that to be mistress of Pemberley might be something. Now, wait, wait, that's not the context. I want to. I'm outline. I'm underlining Austin's description of this place. But I will say that she does say this because she says as she's approaching, like she says the same thing about Rosings, but she says it kind of like sarcastically. Right. Is like she's never seen a place. Rosings is so different. Here's the thing. That that's is, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like she like sarcastically she's like i've never seen a place so uh perfectly situated in nature right but and in then a sarcastic sense. in a sarcastic yes. sense and then she says the same thing about uh pemberley but it is like and so the part of is, one too yeah so here that's yeah. the one the one is i wanted i wanted to underline the degree to which jane austen spent time describing this space mm mm-hmm. And the reason is that Austen is writing at the height of romanticism, Mm -hmm. right? Austen is writing at the time in which this question of what nature is and what the individual is and how those two things interact, and specifically with the British ideal of nature in contrast with the French ideal of of parks and of of the ways in which humans should shape nature or the ways in which – Nature should appear unshaped and yet still contained. Like all of this is at the forefront of what it means to be a good person, not just a rich person, not just a person of means and not just a clever person. But like a goodness, a sort of aesthetic of goodness was about finding balance in these things and about stepping forward not as a person who is stepping forward as an individual, as a as a person who has been who has freedom to move through nature and to recognize it and understand it and find their place in it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there is a metaphor happening here by which she is saying, Where in the woods do I belong? Oh, all this time I thought I was a wren, I could have been a wolf. And there is something agentic about that that I'm not gonna say that like wanting to be the wolf instead of the wren is sort of selling out. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not saying that that is not the case to some degree. And I the first again, the first time I read it, I had the same take, which was like, man, Lizzie, like you and me, we were better than this. We yeah. didn't have to. We didn't need Pembroke. We didn't need to marry the but, Lord. But like there is something for me that I to take that in and especially in at the, the moment in time that this was writing, like this isn't just sort of empty or base. It is it is in alignment with a broader worldview for which Jane Austen's work fits into. And it is, I don't want to say cheapens it to only talk about the wealth. Because I think you can make you can make a firm and right criticism of the entire worldview. But I think maybe that is the thing that's deeper, is like, well, romanticism was also fucked, right? So there's to go off of that a little bit, uh, I will also say that another thread that's been running through this is repeatedly we've been told 
that Darcy, every other place we've seen him, is not the Darcy everybody else knows. Right. That, like, we have never seen, like, there is this other Darcy mm. out there that everyone refers to as being, like, you know, he's a really great guy. Like, he's awesome. I right. don't get, like, why, like, Colonel Fitzwilliam even calls attention to it. He's, like, Darcy turns into kind of a closed-off jerk um, when he comes to, uh, ro- you know, Rosings in particular. But there's this whole idea of, oh, if only you knew Darcy when he's at his best. And where he is at his best is Pemberley. So there's this other part of Darcy as a character. First, we lack sort of the emotional context for where he's been at throughout this story, and that is provided by the letter. But then we also need that greater context of, like, who is Darcy? Like, beyond being kind of the snide guy standing in the, you know, corner of these dances in the country, who is Darcy beyond that? And I think this is where the romanticism of the text kicks in, we are meant to conflate Darcy and Pemberley. Like we are meant to see the one reflecting the other. He is a creature of Pemberley. It reflect like he was shaped by it and it also reflects him. And then in, it's the in other a positive part of it way is, that she has never yes. had access to. And I, a thing I will say is I think that this adaptation actually brings the romanticism out of uh, the the work in a way that like the sequence with Darcy swimming in the in the pool, which I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, the pond. No, yeah, we we meant to that. Okay, I didn't know if that if that we had referred, come up. We, yet. we haven't gotten there, but we've referred to it. Yeah, I I don't believe that that is in the book at all. And no, he's just coming around the corner from the stable, right? And so there is, you know, you could actually read Austen against romanticism, and I think a lot of critics have done that to say, like, no, she's all about like social mores. She's not about the individual. She's about society, the structural yeah. society. But I think that this adaptation recognizes in this moment the importance of nature and the importance of like the what human what the humans places in in nature, and wants to like pull that out as hard as it yeah. can to align both. Both of them, almost in an ecological sense, yeah. in which they see they see themselves as residents of Pemberley, which is to say, at the top of the fucking food chain for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that that's a. I, I think it's less of maybe that's the way. Maybe that's the argument I would make in favor of uh, of it not just being a sort of like ah I could have been rich. Right. It's oh this place aligns with me. Right. I I completely see. I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I was talking uh, earlier about sort of uh, and now that I think about it, mastery is like not the right word. But it I was I was talking before about uh, Mr. Darcy's like mastery of this like estate Mm. and how he like commands it in such a way that like. And I'd like to replace that with something a little bit more symbiotic in right. the sense that yes. this, uh, what I said before about like this being a home, this this not being just a property, that it's like very much like a place filled with memories, um, the mm-hmm. outdoors filled with memories. You know, when, when you see him, the flashback of him and Wickham playing, they're playing outside, like in the field or in the whatever. And, and you know... The grounds themselves have significance to him, and the and the way that he specifically in the scene that you're talking about, Austin, like m- just like jumps into this pond with like just like just like as if he knows exactly how yeah. it it will feel, how the like the the water will feel, like how he will move through underneath the water and like feel it on his on his skin, and how he will like. Like it's just so internalized, like the 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 way that he moves through the nature and and like 
trusts it and knows it. Um, so I think I think y- you, yeah. I I think though, Natalie, the part that's always sat uneasily with me in this rendition is I think so much of that doesn't come through in shooting this in 1995. Like I think the shot of first of all, I don't think they found a particularly great Pemberley. Like, like, How, to you don't be like this Pemberley? quite honest, no? I think it's an impressive building. I like it, but that description, the you know, against yeah. like wild hills in the background. Yeah, this looks a little sees, bit more manicured. But right, compared to not, Robert, Rosings is so manicured. Yeah, yes, I think maybe that's the French style, they, the sculpted. Right, they copia, nailed yeah. Rosings as out of touch French style yes. manicured to the degree that uh, yeah, I'll see that that like really what I think is Rosings looks like fucking trash. Yeah, and so in comparison. <laughs> Yeah. Yo, they should have let me be a lord. You have to honestly. Glaze again after I finish putting these bricks through this window. <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, no, but but I think but I think like shooting this in 1995, what we see is, yep, that's a fancy ass British home, the kind you see in a tour guide, and yeah. it's like but, it, it ends up being a really much more like materialistic moment than I think it's meant to be. Counterpoint: It's television in 1995. Which is to say, pre-prestige television. Like, yeah. we're at the just post, you know, Twin Peaks, the beginning, like, just post Homicide Life on the Streets. Fuck, middle of that's it. right. Do you know, like, TV is not. Yeah, the, the, it doesn't this look is like a, it does. TV doesn't look like film yet, right? Miniseries like this, like uh, Roots, um, like, uh, uh, what's the Civil War one that I'm thinking of that I can't? North and South. North like, and South, these, yeah. These are works mm. that, like, evoke cinema, but don't capture Awesome it. to your point. Yeah. Uh, in one of the things that I think I linked in the first show, but it was about the making of this, they made the choice to shoot this all on film, huh. which was unusual because the other BBC adaptations prior to this used a mix of film and video stock. So they would shoot <laughs> film outside. Right. And then for like interior scenes, you would shoot on VHS. Right. Right. Which is like, and it would look like that, Doctor Who or whatever. Right. Like, right. Which is like, not to, but like, that's what BBC shows looked like at the time. Yeah. And they, you're right. Yeah. This looks so distinctly not like so many other shows of the era. That's so that's interesting. I didn't know that. I think that um, speaks so much to what we had said, what Danielle had said earlier in the last episode about this feeling warm. And, yes, yes. and like totally. the room feeling warm and like cozy and you could feel like the interiorness of them mm-hmm. rather than them feeling like sets. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fact that these felt like rooms and home, like a part of a home, not just a, a, a set that was like placed and, yeah. and, and like curated. And I guess, you know, to that point, what I will say is strangely, maybe. I actually don't think the interiors of Pemberley woo me that much. I think the I like the exterior a lot. I like the pond. I like the run up. I like the scene of Darcy like r- running with his new shirt on really mm-hmm. quick. I like the 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 spatiality of the exterior. I like a lot. But when I think about the interior of Pemberley here, which to be fair, not much action happens in the interior of Pemberley. Well, I guess that's not true. The next whole arc is inside yeah. of Pemberley. I, mm, it it doesn't it doesn't really charm me. But that's just my taste in places, maybe. I think I actually really like the interiors that we get in the film more mm. than I like the interiors that we get in the series. Yeah. Um, mostly because there's because of that warmness and coziness and like in interiorness of of uh the shots, to me they feel like 
almost like kind of claustrophobic and cluttered in the sense that I can't really take in the spectacle of it because there's so much to see and the way that it is like focused like doesn't necessarily bring the uh, character's like so much out of the background itself. And then the, and so it's all kind of like a middle ground almost. So you don't really get to like pull into the interior and then out to like the people. And do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's like, it's all just like kind of one plane and you don't get as much depth, but in the way that uh, the film is shot, uh, the framing there's like there's like symmetrical sort of fr- and and like this is obviously more curated and is mm-hmm. less like telling of the time itself, but uh, I think the effect is similar in the sense that you know you 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 really do get like the scene and the setting and it feels like a a, a it feels like a display if that makes sense it's right well not- like. That is like such a it's such a big question in general in film and in in visual storytelling is like, are you capturing especially an adaptation? Are you capturing the words on the page, or are you trying to communicate to the viewer the feeling that the words on the page once produced in the reader at the time of writing? Because the description that I just read of this place was very much written for for a particular aesthetic taste. Whereas now, like, you're right. Like, if you're trying to communicate, one of the things that's being communicated there is that Darcy, having been of means, has chosen to make the place he lives beautiful in the in in the in the style, right? Mm-hmm. In the, the style of the day. And in a in a style of the day that particularly saw itself as transcend transcendental, right? Mm-hmm. That like, ah, we are we are approaching a truth of the universe, a truth of, of reality. We with our newly reasonable minds, right? <laughs> in twenty 20- in 2005, that is not the case. Like in 2005, what it means to be beautiful is not this like so carefully manicured as to not seem manicured. It's it's kind of just like mansions. It's kind yeah. of just like post 9-11 McMansion expansion. In 2005, expansion. Pemberley has a Viking range that's <laughs> described in detail. Right. Right, and so I think it's shot that way in the from the in the two thousand five in a in a way that's like I mean it's still not French it's still not like you know the the so careful it's not like hedges that are in geometrical patterns like in but that at least way, but, but it's at least still- in the text they like allude to that there's like a scene in in the film in which. Uh, Caroline Bingley is reading from a letter that she's received, and she's like, "Oh, have you he- have you heard that the whoever the fucks have redone their home <laughs> in the French style? Right, right, a little right. unpatriotic, don't you think?" And so, and like, so you still like, you still get the sense that there's intentionality mm-hmm. be- behind like the way that. Uh, these houses are being like designed right. and, and the furniture that's being put in them and, and all all the things like that. So um, I but- would heartily approve of my neighbor remodeling with a guillotine in the front <laughs> yard. That would be. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> What's good? Shout out to DSA Queens. Uh, we taken over. <laughs> um, anywho. Uh, so. I so we get to the next uh the next part of this. I had to read this at? scene. I don't know where we are. So she's walking into the house. So we're about to go through the so house. So he has not arrived and di- and he's on his he's way. Like, he's riding. Yeah, yeah. He's on his way. Doing the swelling and, strings. Okay. And she's, you know, uh Here's another thing about the point. Yeah. He dives in that water and she runs into him. 
just going back to the like, is she just like trying to get paid? Yeah. And she's like, oh, word. I could imagine being mistress yeah. <laughs> uh, of this house. Uh, and I mean that. I mean that sincerely. <laughs> but I also there is a, an underlying lowercase r romantic uh, 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 moment there, which is we get that great moment earlier in the show. Have we already talked about this? Where but. she's like walking through the fucking mud and he stumbles onto her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that uh, is, that's a symmetry. That's a bookend of yes, being like, yes. ah, we are alike. Mm-hmm. We do just go out in nature and fuck ourselves <laughs> up. Yo, fuck me up, nature. <laughs> and like, there is, there is like a nakedness in that, both literal oh, and yeah. metaphysical or totally. a metaphorical that I think is like choice. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So they're in the house and they're getting the tour from the housekeeper. I had to reread this scene because I was like, this miniseries has to be laying this way too fucking thick for this to be fa- like because in the miniseries it's like the housekeeper's just like man he is just the best kid like oh my god I have known him since he was a baby I'm basically his mom uh, he's never never had a harsh word for him he is great to everybody uh, on the land he's just the best landlord his dad was swell good people no good, good landlords hey question yeah where the fuck is Darcy's mom at uh. Not explained. I've always sort of read it to be she may not have survived very long after Georgiana was born. She dies before the course of the novel, so she never appears in the book, but is mentioned quite a bit by Lady Catherine, her sister. So we have to read the book. Okay. Her name is Anne. Anne. Oh, yeah. See, this, yeah, this is, there's kind of a sadness around Lady Catherine, too, I Mm, think. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We should have read the book. Should have read the book. (laughs) Uh, but I, so anyway, I was like, this scene, this has to be played up. This has to be too much. And so I was rereading this entire passage because I was trying to do the one for one comparison of like, how is this carried off in the book? Yeah. The miniseries is surprisingly faithful huh. in tone and text to what is in the book because the, the, the uh, housekeeper does basically deliver all this information uh, to Elizabeth. And it's mostly Aunt Gardner who continues to probe and question, but Lizzie's there um, just gobbling it all up because this is the first time, like she's realizing the degree to which she may not have assessed this guy correctly. And I think there's part of it of part of it here. It's just, we're learning what a swell guy he is. Uh, You know, there's, there's these people who like clearly the people who work for him, uh, the people he is in a position of power over feel that he wears that power lightly and responsibly and he is a a good he he's a good master he's a good lord uh in this era um and part of me has always felt a little bit like i don't know are we supposed to be so grateful that like this rich as fuck guy has basic good manners to the people like farming on his land that he's taking rents from uh yeah because that he, that's that he treats yeah, we are supposed to feel that way because yeah. we're supposed well, to be people of means or people who wish they had means in 1813 reading this book. But right? you know what this reminded me of too, though? There's this – it reminded me of A Christmas Carol where the ghost of Christmas past asks uh, Scrooge a variant on this question. Like why, are you, why do you guys love Fezziwig so much? Mm. Like really what's he done here? Like through a we, shitty party. Can we just pause real quick? Uh, what yeah. was that name one more time? Fezziwig. Fezziwig. Whom? Uh, Charles Dickens has the best name. Like, I take a lot of pride 
in the names that I give characters, I can't hold a fucking candle to fucking Charles Dickens, <laughs> whose names are just the best. <laughs> Never written. I was like, wait, is it Fozziewig? No, Could no, no. Can you no. spell it for me? <laughs> How do you think it's spelled? Uh, like Fozzie the Bear. But with an E, because Fezzy. Oh. It's Mr. Fezziwig. So F E Z Z I W I G. You got it, Fezziwig. Fezziwig. Yeah. That's a great name. Fucking, I, I'm just going to shout out one more time the incredible adaptation of Bleak House, which everyone should watch. It's so good. And the characters in that are named Esther Summerson, Honoria, uh, a.k.a. Lady Deadlock, John Jarndyce, uh, uh, Harold Skimpole, Lawrence Boythorn, uh, Mr. Tulkinghorn, uh-huh, Mr. Snagsby, Will- William- <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. William Gu- a cat. Oh. Mr. Snagsby's not a person. That's a fucking animal. <laughs> uh, uh, Inspector Bucket, William Guppy, <laughs> Caddy Jellybee. Alan Woodcourt, Grandfather Smallweed. That's me. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, I know. <laughs> That's me. Everyone should. You had me at Grandfather. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, anyway, my point is, the Ghost of Christmas Present asks, uh, of past, asks, like, why did you all love Fezziwig so much? He was the owner of this fucking place. He threw you a, a shitty Christmas party every year. And for that, you guys adored him. Uh, like who cares? Mm-hmm. And part of what she's doing at that point is trying to provoke Scrooge and remembering like who he used to be. Right. But I think Scrooge also offers this defense, which is that look, all that is as may be, but we did live in the society. We did live in. We did have these sort of material and class relations, mm-hmm. and Fezziwig had power over us. He he could have made job toil. He could have made work into toil. Mm-hmm. He could have made our lives miserable, and instead he made them joyous. Instead he made them fulfilling. Instead he treated us, uh, you know, as as friends and family. And now, admittedly, we, we're in an era now where like the equivalent of that maybe is setting up a foosball table and being like we're a family here at, at, Fezzi, at, <laughs> yeah. at, at, at Fezziwig Apco or whatever. But I, I think it's worth remembering with, with Darcy, like this is the reality for a lot of people. Even if you're not of this class, the world is full of rich people who have a great deal of power and influence and can wield it with very little restraint. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea of like, what makes Darcy so attractive in this moment, I've always felt, is that he's that rare person who is in a position of power, privilege, and influence, who you discover behind the scenes is actually so much nicer than you ever would have given him credit for being. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of the thing that is that is attractive here is that he's clearly somebody who, with all of the advantages he is given, the people that are sort of within his purview of influence, he treats incredibly well. It is so hard to get... I get it. I get it. And yeah, in the, I when I'm in the world of the book, I'm happy to get it because Darcy could get it. And <laughs> the thing is, it's so hard in 2019 to then still be like... He's here's nice what I'm to his workers. Right. Well, like, we all have jobs. We all know what it's like to have a shitty boss. 
And I'm glad to have a boss who's not shitty. Same. I appreciate it. And also, if y'all put me up against the wall because I was a boss, I'd be like, well, yeah, you know what? Yeah, they wouldn't let me in the union, but I guess, yeah, okay. Like, there's a degree to which it is so hard for me to root. I, it's not that hard, right? In daily life, I'm happy I have a good boss. And I'm happy to to I'm happy I've been happy in the past to have good bosses and to work for people who I like and to to I'm happy when my landlord isn't shitty like I am. It's absolutely I've had shitty landlords who gave me 30 days to get out and not because I wasn't paying rent, but because they wanted to flip the place into fucking condos like I've been on that that and I've been in we've had the landlord who won't come and fix the heat in the middle of the winter and being like, all right, I guess I have to call 311 and like go through all that shit then. Right. I've been there. And so I'm not saying you cannot make that judgment, but also it is hard for me to get excited in that same way or to not in a more more direct thing is like to not side eye the moments at which Darcy as a character wants to play that up a little bit and talks about his oh yeah it's a lovely little village oh it's such a nice little village I I used to love spending time there when I came down from my fucking mansion <laughs> like I'm not gonna you're not gonna get cookie points for that I don't know yeah, dude okay. I like, can't no hold on though hold on like I agree I think that's what's but happening in the text and I understand I why other I understand why characters in the text Give him those those points. I will say now, that reading, I partially disagree. I think, yes, there's an element of, hey, I'm just a man of people. Come fish in my trout stream. But yeah. I also think there's an element of they're having the most Homer fucking conversation. Everyone from Derbyshire loves to tell you they're from Derbyshire. Yeah, that yeah, is what fair. this county is in the story. So to an extent, you've got two Homers. Well, I think there's also run into each other. There's a third element there, which is, and we're just moving ahead at this point to when he arrives. Yeah. But like. He sees that Lizzie has family that he doesn't hate. This is – I was talking to Janine yes. about this while we were rewatching it and she was pointing out to me like her reading on it. I think this is right. Is like, oh, shit. Your whole family isn't fuck-ups. Like y'all – you have an aunt and uncle who are from a place I know I like and are classy and are able to hold conversation and aren't yelling at her across the room mm -hmm. or playing the game in the in the – oafish way mm -hmm. that the rest of your family does or refusing to play it like your father does mm -hmm. and instead they're just like yeah this is a nice place like we can find conversation to have and I think that there is like again I'm not saying throw this chapter out I'm not like burn Jane Austen at the stake put her head in the guillotine I'm not there <laughs> you know I like I am book. saying marry that guy for his house let me lick his beautiful boots that is what I am saying <laughs> I live back here now. Bye, Austin. Bye. Bye. <laughs> no, but <laughs> honestly, honestly, I don't know that his boots are all that good either. I don't know. I saw his boots. He didn't seem that. Uh, I don't know. He uh, had no Tims on. <laughs> I'd like him if there were some fresh Tims. Tims riding boots. <laughs> Tims riding boots when he only had the single sole on those Tims. He didn't have the double sole. He ain't real. He doesn't know what the fuck it is. You don't know what it is. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't ride. No. Mm. Here's the problem. I let I him really, ride if I, I got access. To Pemberley? To Pemberley. You started this conversation saying she was selling out. Yeah, but I already fucking incriminated myself by telling everyone my apocalypse plans. <laughs> I would, I still like him quite a bit. Is the problem is he's very likable. And yeah. he would be last against the wall, you know? <laughs> 
I think now, here's I think the question. Darcy... The question is, when the revolution comes, how quickly does he become like, all right, everyone come to my mansion. Yeah. We can like we can like hook up here. Doubt can... it. Right. Doubt it. Doubt it. Doubt it. Would he be willing to be a base of operations when we gotta start no. making Molotovs? Nope. Probably saying, not. He did. Saying, like... He'd get on the first boat to the US. Probably. Start a new life. Or in my fan fiction, <laughs> would Peter be able to convince him that sometimes you have to stand up against injustice? Because with great power comes great responsibility. No, because he wouldn't ah. have taken the trash out. They would have broken up by now. No, they definitely didn't break up. They it's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Peter does it, and then they take out a lot of trash. They have a lot of trash. They have to do while Peter's at while Peter's at work. Darcy hires a task. Hire, yeah, hundred percent. But lies and says he, he did does it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah, hundred percent. Anyway. I'm sorry for completely. Do you want to be a Kerensky or a Lennon? <laughs> Peter Parker asked Darcy. <laughs> oh my god! All right. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so send your uh, letters too. Yeah. So the housekeeper thinks the world of Darcy. Uh, in the mean, like, in the meantime, uh, we also got a. You know, further evidence that the the house the the housekeeper hates Wickham. Yeah, uh, he sucks. But this era, the rules are such. Once a p- picture is painted, you just got to keep someone's likeness that you hate in your house in that locked oh, glass yep. box for the rest of your life. I guess just pass that on the stairs every day, being like, "Hey, oh, remember me. when he tried to kidnap my sister for her money? I cannot uh, fucking wait until Mister <laughs> Wickham dies." <laughs> First against the wall. Uh, yeah. It's on site. It is on site for Mr. Wickham. <laughs> I would have, oh, so, I wish I had paintings of the people I hated in my house. I wish I did, because then people would come over and be like, yo, what's up? With, like, that's Mr. Wickham. If you see him, you me. call me. <laughs> God. I would just, I would have, uh, if I were, if I were a gentleman in this time, I would just have like, I would do darts, but I would do it with like bows and arrows. Yeah. And I would just sink arrows into the paintings of my enemies. Mm-hmm. The thing that ends Meanwhile, up happening is Peter Parker oh, okay. finds the painting of Mr. Wickham and is like, who's this man whose painting you secretly have? Is he close to you? Is he important? Is they he a past a, lover? They get into a big fight and he can't explain it because he doesn't want to like throw his sister's name in the mud and he and Pete aren't that close yet. But then he is like, oh, I bet this is projection. I bet Pete has some shit. And he goes on Pete's phone and what does he find? A picture of Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, who wounded him so severely. And then they finally get to, they, he's like, Pete, who the fuck is this man? And he's like, Pete's honest because he's Peter Parker. And he's like, that man ruined my life. That's the man who's responsible for the loss of one of my loves. That's the man who who taught me really that even though I had strength, but I, it could be used to hurt people I loved. And then they finally bond over that, and that is when it happens. What? That's happens? chapter eighteen. They make love. <laughs> what? They waited that long. Yeah. Wow. That's the moment they're like, we can be slow honest burn, with each yeah. other. Yeah. Slow burn. Thank See, you. Natalie's the reason the content has to be explicit because otherwise, like, and then what happens? Well, I don't know. I guess I, I was going to cut you a blowing uh, curtain and a fountain outside, but I guess, I guess not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Check the tags, you know. I just uh, wanted to hear it for myself. Uh-huh. So I'm speaking happy for them. of. Me too. It's why I'm writing their story. 
It has to be told. Speaking of uh, making things explicit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bring us back. Darcy. <laughs> Darcy's coming home. And it's just such a hot day. It's summertime. And he needs to cool down. And so, and he's sad. That's the other thing. He's just so sad. He's such a sad uh, boy. But he's like, maybe a refreshing dip in that pond will make me that feel green, better. That green, scummy pond. It looks pond. so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. When I saw him dive in water. and the water is like, like murky and he's like eyes open. I know. Just like... <laughs> I was like, "Yo, get some goggles on this bitch!" Like, he, you know, when you, you get opening? that underwater shot, it's beautiful blue. It's clear, mind you. I don't think that was shot in the same pond. I think that was shot in a completely different pond. No, that was just Colin Firth's actual pool <laughs> with like some fake kelp oh, in the bottom. Yeah, like, exactly. Yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, so he goes for his swim. Uh, in the meantime, the party leaves the house and are now touring the grounds again. Uh, I think Aunt Gardner has started to figure out. She started, like, Lizzie has betrayed enough of her interest and familiarity with Darcy that Aunt Gardner now knows that, like, she knows Darcy better than she has let on. Mm. That They were more than passing acquaintances. And Darcy and Lizzie's sort of eager interest in learning more about Darcy has sort of caught Aunt Gardner's eye a little bit. They go outside. They're walking around. We get uh, Elizabeth is out there in one of her cutest outfits. Uh, she got those quarter length jackets. They're just oh, it's so uh, good. Yeah, and it's the hats, really good. yeah, tremendous. Yeah, we we get a really unconvincing branch snapping sound effect uh, <laughs> off camera, and then she turns. And Darcy is coming through, coming through the uh, through through the brush, um, in a state of undress, which basically means he's wearing a giant T-shirt it's and it's all wet. Goofy. Can I can I read this really quick, please? Yeah, Elizabeth, Mister Darcy, Mister Darcy, Miss Bennett, I, Elizabeth in parentheses, uncomfortable. I did not expect to see you, sir. We understood all the family were from home, or we should never have presumed. Mr. Darcy, in parentheses, uncomfortable. Er, I returned a day early. Excuse me. Your parents are in good health? I just love that this this script has just like, Elizabeth, uncomfortable. Yeah. Mr. Darcy, uncomfortable. It's really good. God. But, uh, so they see each other, and Mr. Darcy's first thing that he thinks to say is like, how's your parents doing? <laughs> Who I love. <laughs> By the way. I hope they're doing well. Uh, yeah, you know how good I feel about them. And, uh, oh, my God, this conversation is so just awkward and uncomfortable. And then they're like, "Where?" he's like, where are you staying? And she's like, I'm at Lambton. And he's like, oh, of course, yes, mm, I'm just arrived. And your parents are in good health? <laughs> and says it, like, again. And is like, and, and all your sisters? And she's just like, yeah, they're all in good health. Why do you keep well, asking me that? In the book, we don't even get, like, the exchange fully written out. It is such a startling and faintly traumatic encounter for for Lizzie that the entire thing is kind of this, like, blur of they talk for, like, ten minutes and literally Elizabeth has no idea exactly what they've talked about. 
Uh, it's just a like blur of pleasantries and awkwardness. Uh, and then in both cases, uh, Darcy makes his excuses and pieces out. And Elizabeth is utterly mortified because it's pretty, it's probably bad form to be like, you are the last man on earth I would ever marry. I hate your fucking guts. <laughs> and then the next time you see that person, you're scoping out his house. <laughs> That's not a, it's yeah. I got your letter. Uh, now I'm here. <laughs> it's awkward. It's awkward. It's awkward. Is it? So here's the Or is thing. it not? Is um, this like, because, yeah, go ahead. You, you go, Rob. Well, my, my other question was, this scene was sort of called, like, this was the thing they added to this adaptation mm-hmm. in the, in the book. He has just arrived. He is just like fresh from the road. He's coming out of the stables, basically. He's, uh, you know, that's, that's how that scene is staged in the book. But this scene in sort of Pride and Prejudice BBC version lore Mm -hmm. is like, that's when this series became the sexy adaptation. This is, this is the scene where like, yeah, they definitely made the subtext text a little bit more. Uh, That's how, like, that's how we're like, I don't know if it's just, yeah, maybe it's just how this, uh, adaptation has aged but I did not get sex from well you didn't know that Peter and Darcy were about to make love either so oh I knew it I just wanted to hear Austin say yeah. it <laughs> I wanted to I HRC wanted... that was not on me <laughs> also I didn't say shit about boots or licking them yeah that was you Rob but I didn't. I said I would too. So you, you know, have like an ally. Thirty minutes before the conversation went where it went, yeah. I was a. I was gonna be like, you know what? I think we're doing a really good job of this series. Like, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back in the middle of a show. So I'm not gonna say anything. But wow, like we're really bringing to bear a whole diff- like a whole different sets of expertise mm-hmm. from our experiences in school and in our personal hobbies, which is still true, I guess, in Rob's case. <laughs> uh, but the the now I don't know, I don't know. I would say we still are okay. Um. <laughs> Here's my thing. Are you ashamed of Waypoint right now? Are we the Bennett clan? Are we the Bennetts to the Be Good and Rewatch it? Like, people are like, Are you hmm, Lizzie? I Do really you think enjoy of yourself this. as Lizzie and Rob and I are like Lydia and Kitty? This is the, the mastery of Jane Austen is anyone who reads this book thinks of themselves as Lizzie. They're all the Lizzies of their own lives. Wow, bringing it back to some actual thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what makes it so good, okay. which is why you're like, yeah, you know what? I would move to Pemberley too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I can forgive some of the shit. You know, what? I, maybe I don't even need to forgive. What? In fact, I mean, she goes further, so we're not going to get. We'll get there in two episodes. Or anyway, whatever. my anyway. question is: <laughs> So what, Darcy dives in. My question is: uh, Darcy shows up, uh-huh. and uh, he, you, okay? So, please, somebody explain to me the the function. Of seeing Darcy swing a sword and then ride his horse and then jump into the pond and then be all wet. Is that sex? (laughs) Anyone? 
It's called a Keyblade One. <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> Is it sex? Are you asking a question about the semiotics of this work? Yeah. yeah also, uh huh. I'm I'm just wondering. <laughs> Is this like, is this like? What am I doing with my life? Showing, <laughs> like, <laughs> is this like showcasing Darcy as like this physical this is like man? Yeah, uh huh. And and boy, oh boy, does that just get? I think that's Lizzie's what Love's point is. Fires started. <laughs> yeah, but Lizzie didn't see him fence. No, but he has the figure of a fencer. What's the figure of a fencer? It's actually not true at all. I don't think he has that. He's a little too big. He's a little too chunky for it. Um, but. But. She. But. Like for the audience. Yes. I think. Or is that like his like sex god right. moment where we're just like. Ooh. Natalie's doing a like. Natalie is doing like. Is she dabbing? No, that's not a dab. This is like a Ginyu force pose. This is like a sentai. Like a power ring. You know what I mean? Um, She. So the I think maybe here is my read is what has Mr. Darcy done for the first three and a half episodes of this story? Stand there. Right. And just be Look like fancy. Mm. Look, fa I'm looking fancy. I'm looking like I'm better than everyone else. I don't I barely exist as a physical presence except to turn my shoulder away from you just a bit to show you that I don't quite respect you. <laughs> and so like to see him, you know, with his shirt unbuttoned, to see him fencing and exerting himself physically, to show him be the wolf. To being the wolf instead of the wren is to see that there is this other side of Darcy, that he is a complete human who is interested in He plays spatiality. with the dog. He plays with the dog. Right. Yes. That is the thing that is happening here. Okay. It's also a metaphor for sex, <laughs> but I don't think that they—I don't think that that happens until until after the marriage state is entered between them. Unless you read my unless, other fanfic, <laughs> or unless you're Mr. Wickham. Yeah, unless you're Mr. Wickham, where all bets are off. Yeah, Wickham. I hardly know him. <laughs> uh, so, oh, how long have we been like, going? We've been on this scene since I came back. We're doing great. Well, there was a lot to talk about. There sure was. Like fan. Can't wait to talk about this at the next All Hands. <laughs> uh, we had to close down Waypoint because yep. they started That's a Pride it. and Prejudice podcast <laughs> that was actually masking as a fanfic. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was it was too hot for iTunes. Yeah, uh, we actually had all our accounts banned. Double uh, explicit, we didn't put the explicit tag on it. Yep. Yeah, numbers um, not okay. But fanfic. Wait, what's wrong with numbers? Good. Did we say numbers are bad. Apple. Oh, Apple hates numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Rob, okay. can you get us onto a track that I can be happy about? What's wrong yes. with me? Nothing. Absolutely. Rob's taking us what's off track too. What's wrong with my track? Nothing is wrong with your track. Rob is our driver, and I'm asking. Please, yeah, Rob. but we have one of those cards where the wheel just slides over to the passenger, oh, and I, I can start driving. Austin's. <laughs> it's like it's like the those drivers' ed cards, yeah. Where you like the the teacher also has the brakes, yeah. And somebody let me in the driver's seat, and now some, I, I'm not even saying you. Somebody's hitting us. the brakes. Me, I am hitting the brakes. <laughs> 
But I respect Rob's, and Rob has driven us off track as well. But I respect the authority a, of the driver. There was a lot to take in with this scene. I admit, sometimes I'm not, like, you just gotta, you just gotta let people riff. You just gotta let That's them riff. That's true. You know what? That's true. Thank anyway. You. All right. Let's get this train back on the rails. Boat. Right into the. God damn it. God. <laughs> hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Lizzie's like, we gotta get the hell out of here. Like, this is mortifying. What must he think? She is convinced that he is like, that he has to be holding against her. First of all, the, she she takes off in like the most like least subtle, like the most dramatic. She's like, "We must leave at once," and it's just like rushing off with her hands in the air. And is like, "Oh God, the embarrassment I've endured. We must leave Pemberley at once." And it's just like, "Yo, he just walked by." Like, I don't know if you haven't learned the lesson of when he was talking shit about you in front of you. Uh-huh. But people can hear shit when you say things out loud in the air, and they're there too. So maybe. Well, but he's t- gone. Is he gone? Like, oh yeah, no. Like, I so I have this theory. He gets out of the shot and he books it like hell yeah. to yeah. get dressed. Like that, he is also not playing it cool. Okay, like cool. he sees her, he is completely like caught out, and immediately he's like, "I look like an asshole." Yeah. And bolts like hell. The minute he's out of frame, he's just like booking it That's to really his dressing good. room. That's really good. I like that to, image. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, because you see him they, come, emerge from the, uh, later, like immediately after, and he's like still buttoning up his shirt. Yeah. Like, how quickly did he get his hair dry? He and has it, people to dress I know. Him. I know. And that's the thing. He was like, hurry, hurry, hurry. It's back to but F1 pit boss. stop shit. <laughs> he's a good boss. <laughs> <laughs> his valet was like, we're going to have you looking... <laughs> Fan fucking tastic. Yes. In one point nine two seconds. Also, yeah. also, also. Yeah. We know. Uh huh. What do we know? He takes a bath. No, that would have been a really quick bath. I mean, he took a dip. What else do we know about Darcy? What else do we know about Darcy and his feelings for Lizzie? He won't say them again. Except we know he cannot keep his fucking mouth shut because he told he told Fitzwilliam. You know he told Bingley. Who do you think was in those rooms when he was having those conversations? His people. His people were. So they all know as soon as she shows up, oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's Lizzie Bennett. He hasn't been home in a minute. Yeah, but whatever. No, but no, there's he, time. It's, but it's been nine months. Yeah, he's been he's been back and forth a few years. All we need is one moment where he is ardently talking about his love for her to one of his friends, to one of his like bad wingmen. Do you think he actually talked about her to them? Yes, because when remember in, we know from Fitzwilliam. From Fitzwilliam, we know from Fitzwilliam. When Fitzwilliam shows up mm. at uh, Lady Catherine de Bourgh's, he is like he won't fucking shut up about you. He says you're the best person ever. So, yes, I think that they probably all overheard it. So in my mind, the valet is like, all right, game face. Like, I already I had this. I had this album picked out for you as soon as she came in, just in case. You you There's a whole Cogsworth Lumiere yeah, yeah, thing 100%. happening off, off screen here yes. where it's like we are just getting your shit together. Yes. To make you look good. You got to get out there, sir. We've been rooting shit. for you. This is it. Team this is Lizzie. The time. Team Lizzie. Go get her. Fuck Anne. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, Lizzie's like, we gotta get the hell out of here. They go to their carriage. 
Darcy comes like basically sprinting <laughs> back out of the house, intercepts them just as they're about to depart. And tries to play it off. Oh, you're not going anywhere, are you? Oh, please allow and... me to apologize for not receiving <laughs> you properly just now. Oh, God. Yeah. And Lizzie says, uh, we are, I believe we must. Mm. And she still thinks he's going to be furious on some level. And he play- and then he's like, I hope you didn't hate Pemberley. And that is the first, like, that is the mm, first thing that turns see? the conversation and makes her realize. Mm? He can get it for Pemberley. That's not what it is. She, she, he's like. I hope you're not displeased with Pemberley. And she says, no, not at all. And he smiles. And he's like, then you approve of it. And she's like, mm, smiling very much. She's never sounded like that in her life. (laughs) (laughs) But then, but then she does say, but I think there are a few who would not approve. So obviously it's like, Pemberley's the shit. You know it. Nobody's going to be like, this place looks like ass. Right. But like... (laughs) And then, Some people would because they have bad taste. And then Mr. Darcy's like, your good opinion is rarely bestowed and therefore more worth the earning, which is just like throwing it back to previous conversations. Right. He's like, I got you. I got you. I remember uh-huh. things we've talked about. Yes. Paying attention. That's how you know I'm a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, don't, like, I think this is them finding, like figuring out what the footing is on which they can talk to each other about, about like themselves and like, hey- where are we at? I'm still unconvinced. That they like each other oh. or that she likes him? I'm just unconvinced that there's like material foundation for the turn have you, in Lizzie's. Have you ever not felt like you misjudged someone so severely? Yeah, I judge a lot of people. Me too. I judge people all the time. And then like a year later, I'm like, Fuck. All the time. Not- yeah, but not people who've caught, like, like insulted me and my family. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure I have. Now, sometimes I'm extremely right about them. Mm-hmm. But there are times that I have, I am someone who does my best to be humble about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But there are, like, points at which insults are felt more severely. And I am also someone who, like, does not have a lot of free time and who has gotten very protective of the relationships that I am able to keep up with Mm -hmm. in my life. And so there have been plenty of times, especially in the last few very busy years of my life, where I have to make the decision of, like, how much time am I investing in this person who has insulted someone I care about or me in a particular way or the work that I do or that my company does or my Mm -hmm. team does? Not my company so much. If you want to say some shit about Vice, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, go with God. Like, yeah, same sometimes. Um, you know we've been there. So, but, like, I've made that decision. And then there were times when I'm like, hmm, hmm. I definitely should have made more time for that person. I mm. definitely should have. Like, I might still disagree with them, but. Yeah. But then maybe the intention behind the insult there is more of a uh, a way in which to articulate a frustration rather than an, a true judgment which Darcy's is a true judgment yes. yes yes and I and and I think maybe part of the thing that she comes around on comes around on makes it sound like I agree with this but like part of the thing that changes in her worldview is to accept part of his vision of the world mm. in that time which is 
for me, like you, frustrating. But it's not that I think she's – so it is like a sellout, but it's not like a sellout like I'm going to get mine so much as it is like a recognition of the state of the board <clears throat> maybe. I don't know. Rob, do you have – I know you've talked about this before. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, this goes back to what we were talking about while you were out of the room, Austin, where Lizzie has that argument with her father about, right. like, think about how we are coming across. Right. And it's like she <clears throat> she's not fully reckoned with how the Bennets can seem, with how not just, like, uncouth their behavior can be, but how morally bad sometimes it frames them. Like, how mercenary and materialistic they can seem, how selfish and oblivious they can seem uh and so i think there's an element where she's like she is she has been forced to sort of reckon with some of the justice of what he said it wasn't coming from from nowhere um but to this exact moment i really don't think it like i don't they're not talking about the house at all no when he says i hope you weren't displeased with pemberley He's not saying the house fucking rule. He's not playing to the fact that like he knows the house is awesome. Yeah. What he is doing is diffusing a situation. He knows she's leaving. He's not sure why. So he makes this, he throws out this gambit, basically, of like, oh, well, if you're leaving in such a hurry, I hope, right. because it would not be my wish that you are staying, but I can't just say, please, please stay, stay. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you don't like me, and I know that. So I have to be really careful about how I couch all of this. I hope you're not leaving because you dislike it here. And that gives her the opening to be like, no, I actually do like it here. And therefore we can continue talking. She's not in a rush to leave. Yeah, that's very astute. <laughs> you say defeated. <laughs> no, like, I think that that's, so, I think that that's, because like that is part of what the social structure. Yeah, that it's like in, the say. pleasantries that you exchange yeah. when really what you mean is, like, are you leaving because you ran into me and now you don't want to be here because I'm here? Or, but like, also, I hope you found Pemberley nice. And if she's like, actually, I didn't really like it, he could be like, okay, you don't want to talk to me. Goodbye. Right. The, and like, he's counting on her in some regard. Like, uh, the thought process that just went through my head was like, well, what is her negative response? <clears throat> I guess it would be something like, I found it very well, but we have to be going. Or something like that. Like, oh, we have other matters to attend to. Or it was like, it's, it's perfect. It's yeah, not, but, it's fine. But like, could she even say that without it being this like serious insult? Maybe she'd be like, "Fuck it." It's you know, she wouldn't. Mind I mean, insulting. he literally went yeah. all out on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, she's got at with... least one shot that she can get yeah. at him. Bye bye. Yeah, but this it's is why style. He is... Mm -hmm. Peace. What's good? Yeah. <laughs> so this is the weird thing. I think there is also just there is undeniably a power dynamic element that happened with that letter that. In addition to it recontextualizing his behavior and her seeing some of the truth of his critique of her family, there's also an element where I think she feels disproportionately bad for how completely wrongly she called him, even though that does not change the degree to which he was an asshole. And material the ways, again, to call out specific things that he did to Jane. So, yes. just saying it. Yes. You're right. But... The realization that so much of what that was foundational to her dislike of him and the degree to which she painted him as a bastard to his face, when she realizes that she had a lot of things, like a lot of wires crossed, a lot of things wrong in her judgment, I think she feels disproportionately and a bit unreasonably guilty and bad about the entire affair. 
Uh, I think she feels she went too hard on him and is embarrassed by how brutal she was. Even though I think he had a lot of it coming. Oh, yeah. She, the letter flipped things. The letter is like causing her to feel bad about how hard she went at him. And so what is happening over this exchange to me is this is such an attempt now by both sides, but particularly him to be like, can we try to take this from the top? Can we please, like, can we please, what if we hadn't fucked this up in like, similarly to how Austin feels about this podcast? (laughs) No, this podcast, I, a thing I'll say is I like this scene a lot. Cool. I, isn't this a great scene? You're, you're not displeased with the scene of the show, are you? <laughs> Let's take it from the top. Um, but like, you're right because to some degree, it's also setting the stakes very low. All right. This place is all right, right? I've definitely had that conversation before. I'm just like, yeah, this week fucking sucked, but like. This soup is pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, we got into that big fight, but, like, this place does make the best pizza. Or, yeah. like, it's a nice park. Yeah. And then he does the, and who are these people? <laughs> like, seizing on the opportunity oh, yeah. to not be an asshole to somebody in her family. Right. He referred like, to just... another person existing for the first time ever. Ever. Yeah. And she makes a point to be like, oh, yeah, these are my aunt and uncle. You know, from the place in Cheapside where my sister was set staying yeah. over the winter. Yeah. And she's really cute. Like, one, again, she's kind of slipping the knife in a little bit. Yep. And seeing if, and how's he going to react to that? Like, how is he going to react to being reminded of that? Because it embarrasses him. And also, how is he going to react to these two people who are not of his class? And his approach is to be a conspicuously gallant host mm-hmm. and be like, and then Austin, I like you, you have my, you have my interpretation. I think Derbyshire, this neighborhood, everyone is just really high on this neighborhood. I think to a degree, there's just an element of they both love this part of the country so much. Uh-huh. And so like two assholes, like, you know, that one place, you know, on the corner, yeah. you know, the chestnut tree. Oh man. I love I, that place. I, like I think this. that is, this is the Darcy who I interpret in my fic. This is the one I want to present. Is definitely I'm with you, but there's also this one line where Darcy says, "This is my like Phoenix Wright aha moment." <laughs> You're staying in Lambton, I hear. Where did he hear that from? He was brief from her. No, from oh, did she say it already? Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Throw it out. <laughs> I was like, I was going back into my conspiracy theory. His people inside were like, all right, they're okay, from here, okay, here's, here's a real question. Yeah. Just going back. Yeah. Was he really visiting Rosings to see his aunt? Or did no somebody way. mention in yeah. a letter yes. that, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Elizabeth Bennett is visiting, and he was just like, Fitzwilliam, get your horse. Yeah. We're visiting <laughs> we Auntie. We gotta go. Yeah. That's uh, probably true. I think it's true. But like that goes against part of what makes her retu- her turn on him r- reasonable in a sense, which is he said, and that's it. I'll step away. I'll give up. Like, just read this letter. I won't ever like seek you out again. But if he went to Rosings, that did not happen. If he was like trying to make a play there, no, that was no, all no. before he showed up. Because oh, you mean to begin with? You mean to yeah. begin with? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, a hundred percent with you. A hundred percent with you. Yes. But <laughs> to Pemberley, um. You know, he's he's not leaving her 
alone. He's like actively trying to engage, which I guess is like his one last shot. Like yeah, he's going to shoot his shot. Yeah, you got to take a shot. One last time. Also, she's at his house. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, and this also is, his that's house not... rules. <laughs> and but, he feels like himself. It's, like... it's also he feels like himself, which is what you were pointing out before. Yes. Which is like, he is on home turf. He knows the field. He's the he home f- team. He feels like himself here. Yeah, he's got his fans. Right. And he doesn't have to put on a face for other people, right? No. Like, no one is going to rat him out for, like, being too, like, nice in public, which seems to be a concern of his for his whole fucking life, right? Which is, like, a bad concern to have. I want to, like, I want to be clear. I don't think that away away game, Darcy, is, like, has it down. Yeah. But on home turf, he feels like he can just be this nicer person mm-hmm. because – you know, it's one of those things it's of like, like protected, exactly it's safe, and like it's it not, sucks. He's that not going to be. He knows he's not going to be taken advantage of, right? Or or right or leveraged in any particular way. Like he's so walled off in public when he's at parties, when he visits other people. Here, he just none of those walls are there because because yeah, no one's going to take advantage of him. Um. So then we do get if we saw last week Colonel Fitzwilliam, worst wingman yeah. in literature. Aunt Gardner, maybe one of the best. Swish. Uh, he he walks off with uh, Mr. Gardner to show him the 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 fishing hole, basically the trout stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Aunt Gardner's like, "What could have wrought such a change in Mr. Darcy? It sounded like such a jerk." And Elizabeth's like, "Yeah, no, I couldn't possibly imagine." And Aunt Gardner, you know, sort of arches an eyebrow and is like, "Couldn't you?" Yeah. And she knows what's up. Mm-hmm. And she quietly makes the move to ask her husband, you know, actually, why don't let's go on a stroll? You know, I'll lean, yeah, I'll lean on my husband's arm. Yeah. Liz, Lizzie and Darcy, you guys talk amongst yourselves. And in the book, it's even played out more exaggeratedly. Aunt Gardner slows their walk to a crawl <laughs> with the uncle. So they like fall back by like a quarter mile. Oh, that's so good. And oh yeah. Good. So they take their time getting to the carriage so that Darcy and Elizabeth have a chance to talk. But it's it is time well spent because they finally have a conversation just one on the one on one. Yeah. Where he's and not naked. Just in that state only, of only emotionally. Un- yeah. and once again she tries to apologize for overstaffing her being in his house and you know doesn't want he wants none of that it's you know it's great that she's here he makes a fucking like a game clutch play in this moment and i know we're making a lot of like relationships aren't sports and like using like the play metaphor is played out and like i get it but he makes the right maneuver. He makes the yes. right. He makes. Yeah. He says the right thing, which he sees that she has said, "I've overstepped my my bounds here. I interrupted your privacy. I shouldn't have come here uninvited." And he's like, "Got it. Got it. Now it's time. I'm gonna invite you. What if I invite you? You're right. You're right. This is not the way that you should visit. Let me show you how you should visit. Come through. Let tomorrow. me show you the real Pemberley. Yeah, right. Let me show you how how we really do it for real down here. Yeah." <laughs> But also, right. It is interesting right. to me that this is so fraught. Yes, that the again their last encounter was, I hate your family, but please marry me. And 
then he's like, by the way, some friends are coming up. Yeah. I wrote ahead. I think you know them. The Bingleys are coming. Which is like, which is, which is but, rough <clears throat> territory. Yes. Which is, which is uneasy yeah. ground because one, it could be, one, it's good. He's honest about this. There's another <laughs> world in which he does not mention this. And that's the old Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy has learned. Mr. Darcy, we see has changed at least a little bit here because that would have never even been in his mind. He can invite whoever the fuck he wants. He doesn't tell people who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So, so that's already one, right? Two. And this is where it gets a little heavy. This is where he says, among the party, there's someone else who very much wish, wishes to make your acquaintance. Been talking about you. My, my sister, Georgiana. Natalie. Yo. Is this kind of a grimy move? Because he's Ooh. using yeah. his sister. Who, who she knows about. She knows about. Yeah. And, and, and. For all of Lizzie's judgment and and you know haughtiness over over her understandings of people, she is a sympathetic person. Yeah. And is this kind of like Mr. Darcy using Georgiana to get Lizzie in the door because he knows because how are you going to say no to like. How is Lizzie going to say no to Mr. Darcy being like, my little sister really wants to meet you? I think it's a judgment call because here's the thing. What if I, I think she does really want to meet her. I, I agree. Which is real. I know. And so yes. is there a world in which now, it, okay, counter world, other world, AU, he goes home and sees his little sister and she's like, where's Lizzie? Like, he's like, yeah, I saw Lizzie yesterday. He's like, why didn't you invite her over? And he was like, I didn't want her. Um, it was, uh. or the opposite <laughs> happens, which is she finds out that his little sister was there later and it's like, you said the Bingleys would be there, but you didn't say shit about your sister. I want to come see your sister. I think you got to put all the cards on the table. And like, you're right. It feels grimy. I think he should feel grimy doing it. I think he should feel like, I don't want to do this, uh, but you got to put the cards on the table because here's, here's grimy. Here's what grimy would have been. My sister's going to be there. No mention of the Bingleys. Grimy. Not allowed. Grimy. In the film. Yeah. What they do mm-hmm. is Kira Knightley is walking around the house Right, and she gets uh, separated from the party, <clears throat> and she hears the piano being played, mm-hmm. and she approaches the music mm-hmm. and looks through the peep peephole, the crack in the door, uh-huh. um, and sees Georgiana playing the piano, and then what happens is Darcy approaches Georgiana at the piano, and Kira gasps, and Darcy turns. And they lock eyes. And then Kira books it out of there and starts running out the house. And then Darcy catches up with her and is like, uh, Miss Elizabeth. And she's like, hello, Mr. Darcy. And they do all the pleasantry shit. And then he's like, and then they say goodbye. And he invites them, invites her, her aunt and uncle to come back to the house. And so as a group, they decide to go back together. Mm. Anyway. Do you like that version? I also love in that scene. Go ahead. That Kira bolts out of the house. Right. To a dead end. Yes. There is no escape plan in that scene. <laughs> she basically runs to yes. like, oh man, here's a second story uh, balustrade over a garden. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and then like she kind of plays it off like, oh, hey, Mr. Darcy, what's up? I just, God, I just it's fled so out your side exit to this... Uh, Stone wall fence thing. Oh, it's so funny. 
Yeah, honestly, I think that the movie kind of uh, puts uh, Elizabeth in a little bit more of a, I don't want to say like pathetic, but she's definitely like doesn't have as much control. Like the ball is kind of left her court for a mm. second and she's kind of the balls in. Well, because snooping around that house is talk about grimy. Like, yeah, she left the tour she's group. All and up was around like, that house. Hmm, what else is around else? here? Yeah, what's going on? What yeah. else goes down in Pemberley? God. So I think there's something else that I think Darcy has to get ahead of here. Yeah. With Georgiana. Yeah. Which is that he doesn't want to like be renewing his advances. He doesn't want like he said like he's trying to just like you know what let's be civil to each other let's like I want to show you a decent person all this stuff but here's the problem. Mm-hmm. He's still crazy about her. Mm. Georgiana knows that. Mm. And I think there's also this thing of my sister, my sister's eager to meet you mm. is also a way of acknowledging up front and like Elizabeth can choose. She she can still choose to decline this invitation. He does say, do but, I ask too much? <clears throat> yes. And I don't that know. I roll I just, her eyes like big nah. fucking whoop. I mean, I'm just saying. Do I, I the, like that's like me saying, I don't know. Is that all good? Like, I don't know. It's like, no, it's not even that. It's like, it's like some like colloquialism of the time. Like, do I ask too it, much, it is, my it dear lady? Because she, if he, I she could, in the same way that she could have been to like, ask you for your. <laughs> these two don't do pleasantries. They don't. That's she would have just been like, you do ask too much. Do you not recall? You. Like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Sir. Sir. Yeah, true, true, true. But Which is part of why I, it works. That's part of why all this works for me is because of how just just completely brutal and honest the, their last exchange was. Because yeah, you fair. know either of them would be willing to go for it. And in fact, their general demeanor is such that they don't like pleasantries. They're mm-hmm. not built for pleasantries. They're built for sniping. They're like, it's a sniper's duel and they both see the sheen of the other. I'm just, I'm going from sports to sniping here, <laughs> but they see the sheen of the other one's like scope in the distance and it's like, do we respect each other enough to like stand up and approach each other instead of sniping at each other for a moment? We both see it. Now they're like, bop. <laughs> no, now you walk up and you take out the, the pistol, the the pistol and you're like the Mozambique. <laughs> and you're like, I got three shots. That's it. Just kidding. Dual Mozambique. <laughs> I picked up another one. I on got the way. six shots. <laughs> Reload. Damn. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Apex. But I think, <laughs> the other thing that has to be gotten ahead of here is just that Georgiana's a teenage girl. She's not like, she, you know what I mean? She's not going to conceal the fact, just the way Fitzwilliam was like, damn, Darcy thinks you're the best. I have not yeah. heard, I've not heard the end of you. You're great. Georgiana's going to be like that, like possibly times five. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so I think the other thing Darcy has to get ahead of is like, look, I'm not pursuing you again here. I'm not like that's I don't like putting that putting that. I know, but that's he's not lie. trying to put pressure on her. He is. I, here's the thing: is like I think I think I'm is. willing to say that I don't think that he shouldn't have done this. Yet also, I'm going to respect the truth, which is he is putting some social pressure on her. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is pressure. You like even if she went ho- like if she went home. And the gardeners told her family that one day this all happened and that she'd been invited to go back to Pemberley and she chose not to. Like, 
that would she would be in shit right like and she'd get through it and she she it's in her power like pre- pressure is such a good word here because pressure doesn't pressure structures and it imposes but it does not determine right mm-hmm. like yes she could say no yes she could let the rest of her visit completely go off with without a single other instance she could go home her mom could yell at her for suddenly her mom in this scenario would be like all about mr darcy um and would be upset that she didn't uh, you know she would be upset that she didn't even really try like maybe darcy Except sucks, the gardeners would never snitch but in this hypothetical it, I agree. They, but who knows you never know you never <clears> know <throat> family is weird right you never know people have some drinks they say oh we had one night blah, blah, blah. we went to the one day blah. they would definitely say it the I gardeners would definitely say definitely it because they, they think he's cool Anyway. But what I think Lizzie is in this moment is actually curious. Yeah, true. I think she's curious yeah. about it's good. Georgiana, but mostly about this interior Darcy, this like home Pemberley dish Darcy. Yeah. This is the man who in fleeting glimpses I may have seen. Yes. And like here he is sustained. And I don't think, I don't think. Uh, Lizzie shies away from her curiosity. I think that's what sent her to visit her friend Charlotte at uh, at um, the parsonage. I think it's uh, yeah, true. why she tests people because she's curious as to you know how they will respond. Um, it's it's. I think it's a part of the reason why she goes and visits Jane for. I mean, I think it was also her love for Jane while she was sick, but also. It's a chance at a glimpse at who this person is that Jane is, you know, um, you know, lining herself up to or not lining herself up, but is like poised to uh, enter a relationship with. So I, I do th- I do think there is like a, a, a motivation of curiosity here for. Yeah, for I think that's a really good call, a really good evaluation. Thanks. And I think it's more pronounced in the book. As well, uh, like her motivation throughout the scene in the book is curiosity. She just wants to know more. Mm-hmm. If I have a complaint about episode four, it's that it's it's given the game away almost too fast. Yes. Uh, yeah. Totally. Uh, so by the end of this scene, they finish their walk. They get to the carriage. He helps her into the carriage. She she rides off through, uh, you know, through the gloaming at at Pemberley. And she turns back and looks at him. And it freeze frames on her look. And at that point, like just in terms of the way they are performing, in terms of the framing, the scoring, the game is up. Uh, she is basically won over to Darcy by the end of the scene. And I think the the book does a better job of yeah. she is really intrigued by the difference she has seen. She is intrigued by like the new information she is gathering. But she is not sold on this. She hasn't crossed that threshold. Whereas I think in the series, basically like at the end of this episode, is there any doubt that those two like want to make out? No, which is like, I think they have such a powerful attraction in every moment from the point at which he emerges from the pond, even as they're both embarrassed. That is, that confirms, we talked about this like feeling of destiny in the last, in, in my, my, Bad vibes about that in the movie. I think mm-hmm. here is also like it's late enough in this that I don't mind it as much. But mm-hmm. I think you're totally right that it's they're like, yep, and that's done because for the rest of this, what we want is for them to be problem solvers. Right. To, which, to, you know, vaguely together. Which I think betrays what I said last episode of this being a novel about 
circumstance rather than about fate. You know, but yeah, I guess the question is like, except for the fact that we've just spent the last hour like dissecting six minutes of this show in which what were their plays? How did they, how did they get to this point? And I think you're right that like the depiction. But those are decisions. Right, but that's circumstance. It's, it, I that's think that what that's, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying that that for the show to leave us with this moment where we have every confidence yes. that they'll end up together is betraying. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with okay. you. But yeah. my, my only note on that is it's not like that wasn't earned in the cell of this sequence in which you see her slowly fall for him and you see his his uh, like return to it. I And in which the last whole episode has been her having this debate with her father and like those moments are where that change happens. I still would prefer the version of it where you don't really know until the end of episode five, but I still prefer it. I think to the version where from the jump, you're pretty sure that it's that they're going to get together. I mean, whatever we all know they get together. I'm talking about the film, but there are other adaptations that I haven't seen that I'm sure go on either side of this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some in which you don't even know at the end if it's a real fucking thing. Mm. Right, you can imagine a very skeptical version of this, the like the graduate version of, of yep. uh, Pride and Prejudice, which ends where you're like, "Oh shit, they're getting together," but like, what's this? Uh oh, maybe marriage is bad. Maybe maybe no one should be in the marriage state. That that adaptation certainly exists out there. And if you know what it is, please let us know. I'm sure gaming at vice dot com because this is a gaming podcast. Uh, let us know, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> Did we make I will it through? Say, I do think we still the last, in it? The last 30 seconds? How, how, how many hours can we get out of it? No, the, I was just saying, I think the last two episodes are about circumstance. I think the next two episodes are about the, in. we are in this weird, like, <clears throat> there's this sort of bubble that forms over this episode at Pemberley. It's kind of this enchanted moment. I think the next two episodes are about the realities of their circumstances, the differences in station and the other things in play in this society. I think those realities come flooding back in. Mm. And I don't think they shake us from the conviction that these two belong together. Uh, Even though the, the, she would like her, her character will worry that somehow, right. You know, this, this romance has been killed before it had a chance to be, to begin. Uh, We as the audience are never in doubt about that, but at least I think the next two episodes are entirely concerned about, yes, they are problem solvers, they do not know they're working together to be problem solvers. Right. And the nature of those problems is important. Can I say part of the reason that it doesn't, that that part of it, the like, will they, won't they doesn't work is you're right. The threat is about, the threat is again about circumstance and about information and who knows what and how stuff is spread. But I think Darcy is so convincing in these moments. He is so well liked by, by the people who work for him and you know, Lizzie is so fond of him immediately. There's such a magnetism between the two that it's hard to imagine that like so much of her fear in the coming episodes is like, oh no, now Darcy would never spend time with me because of this new association. And it's like, nah, he's good. We saw y'all talk. He's gonna go through. He he knows he fucked up before. He'll be fine. And I, it would be fun to have the version where you're like, oh no, could he turn back into the old him mm. and be so concerned with this stuff? Mm-hmm. But once you know he takes care of his people and that he's like, and then once you see them together again, it is really hard to doubt that he'll he'll do the right thing in this moment. Yeah. I don't know. In those moments that are yet to come. Future Stay Darcy. tuned. Stay tuned. All right. That will do it uh, for this episode of Be Good and Rewatch It. 
just a tight three and a half hour podcast for you on a single episode Mm -hmm. of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, And I think, Austin, I think we, we, we treated the entire subject with the reverence that it deserved. Um, I think if you are coming to this as a fan of Pride and Prejudice and are not familiar with our wider work at Waypoint, uh, I think this was a flattering uh, aspect that we have, pre- yeah. we uh-huh. have presented. Uh, and I have every confidence that our uh, strange tangents and jokes uh, seemed I, classy and respectful. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love this. This is great. Me too. It's good to do a podcast back. This is what we were supposed to be doing. This one. We're supposed to be talking about Pride and, Pride and Prejudice. Rob was right all along. Rob was right all along. Let me tell you this, Rob. You were right all along. Rob's wanted us to do this podcast for like a gajillion years. A gajillion years. I only said no to it last time because I had just watched Pride and Prejudice. I was like, ah, uh, y'all. Oh, can you're do not it. being arch. What? No. You're not being arch. No. Okay. No, 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 no. No. I'm saying your instincts were, were right. You wanted to do this last fall as one of our earliest series. And I was like, uh, we're trying to do something like themed and something like really like um what's the word we're I'm doing looking for? Like- uh, something that had like a news peg, something that had like some relevance based on like what was happening. And so we were like, oh, horror movies, Halloween, October. And then like, well, oh, we'll get around to Pride and Prejudice. We'll, we'll get there. We're like there'll be a moment, there'll be a lull at which we can fill it with whatever. And these have been some of my favorite episodes. So thank you. Thank well, you, Rob. Same. We hope you've enjoyed revisiting episode four of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep up with everything we do at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Austin, where can people find you? At Austin underscore Walker. Natalie. At Natalie Watson. You can find our producer at A underscore Cato underscore appears on Twitter. And Danielle. Uh, music. She said uh, she said she is Dan- Danielle R.I. Oh, I wasn't sure it. if that was going to make the final cut. Oh, that's a good question. Danielle R.I. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and our music is by uh, Two Mellow, and you can find more of uh, their music at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. That is two, the numeral. Mm. Uh, that's that's key information there. Uh, we'll be back next week with. I think we're probably going to cover the last two episodes. I hope single. we do. I think we should. Yeah, I I don't think there's enough substance to the final two episodes to justify. Six more hours of podcast, uh, much though I love the series. Uh, I think the next episode will conclude our magical journey uh, back to uh, back to 1995, back to Regency England. Uh, so stay stay tuned for that and for the final for our finale uh, to the, to our Pride and Prejudice uh, rewatch, and also check out uh, our other podcasts on Waypoint and uh, rate and review us on the podcast platform of your choice. Until then, until next week. Uh, Thanks for listening. Shoutouts to Pemberley. Shoutouts to Pemberley. It's a nice house. That's a nice house. I am not displeased. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Pemberley Socks. In this version, I'm not sure it isn't. I'm not sure it isn't. Pemberley in the film is definitely sex. Look at all when she's like walking around through the yeah, I watched the earlier statues. Yeah. the statues and it's like mm, ah e that's sex. Oh, I wondered. <laughs> uh, happy birthday to Albert Einstein, and shout outs to Pi Day. What's the farthest you can go on Pi? Not. Done. Nope. Out. Don't care. Three point one four one five nine. One five, not nine five. Two six. Damn, nice. Pi. Nope, we're gonna clap. I only have forty five minutes. I got it right. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, twelve. It was very there quick. There we go. There we go. All right, Austin's. What your heart out? Your heart out is in forty five minutes. Okay, that's reasonable. I'm happy to be here for yeah. a third of this. At least we only have one episode today that we planned on. I got all night, baby. It'll take all night to discuss that Pemberley situation. I we got to go so frame by thoughts. frame. I have so many thoughts that I need to work through because I don't know how to come to terms with them. Is Lizzie giving into astonishment? Who could say? This is. There's a lot to get into. There's a lot to get that, into. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Buckle up. First. Thread F. Wow, you're like an F1 race car pit 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 crew. (laughs) Oh no! But she's a Haas pit crew and she trips like five (laughs) steps out the door. (laughs) She tied her shoelaces together. (laughs) 